Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the spontaneous World Series of Poker show. I am your host, Todd dandruff Wittellis. I just decided to turn this on. I only have a few hours tonight, so this is not going to be a long show. But I figured I'd do one at an hour that a lot of you can listen live. Usually we do it pretty late at night. People on the East Coast have no chance of listening unless they stay up very late. And even people on the West Coast, if they have to go to sleep, don't get a chance to listen live. So we're doing one here at 4.29 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. And I think maybe we can get some more live listeners, even though this was not announced. I announced it right now, but it was not pre-announced. Well, it's not true. I announced it like 45 minutes ago. So if you remember, if you listened live to the last episode a few days ago, I was doing a show, and right as I was getting into the Martin Cabrell stuff, I got cut off by bad internet in the secret location where I was. This was not at the Horseshoe. It was not at Paris. It was in Las Vegas, but the internet was very bad where I was. For some reason, it held up okay for the first four hours, and then it just completely went to crap, and it was not good enough to stream the show, because basically the way I do it is I am broadcasting live, and I am transmitting to the Poker Fraud Alert radio server, which then transmits to all of you. So I was unable to make a reliable connection to the Poker Fraud Alert radio server, and it was because of the internet where I was. So I'm in a more stable secret location at this point, internet-wise. Still not my home location, so I can't guarantee anything, but I think this will be better. However, I do have a time restriction this time, because I do have some plans for this evening, so I will have to leave regardless of how far in the show we get. Now, this is actually not going to be part two of the show I had to abandon. I still need to do that, and I'm not sure when I'll get that in. I also haven't posted the archives yet of the part one that I had to abort. And what I could do with these hours right now would be either working on editing part one and posting that to the archives or putting up some new content. So I decided what I'm going to do is put up some new content, and I'm not sure if I'm going to be connecting this with the part one or releasing it as a separate episode. If I do connect it, just note that this is being broadcast on June 27th, 2023, and the other one was a few days before that. But I'm thinking right now I'm going to split them into two parts. We will kind of have like a three-part thing, uh, which will be released not that far from one another. So different than what you usually get here. But, you know, it is during the World Series time I squeeze in when I can. I do wish I were not available today because I played the 3K Limit Hold'em 6 Max an event that I look forward to every year, but haven't played in five years. Something was always stopping me from playing. So 2019, it was during the main event, and I made it deep in the main event, so that was a good reason to miss it. So I did not play it that year. 2020 was the COVID year, so I didn't play then. 2021 was a semi-COVID year. If you remember, COVID was uh, the Delta form at that point, and I just felt that the World Series of Poker was just such a place to transmit covid that I just didn't want to go there until I was vaccinated and my previous vaccine had worn off. So I did not go there until the main event, which I missed cashing by 50 spots, which was really annoying back in 2021. But that's the only thing I played in 2021. So I missed this event that year. And uh, 2022, I went to go play a full schedule, at least my full schedule, not like compared to some of these grinders who play like 50 events. 
I usually play like nine, but I went to go play a full schedule and then that was interrupted by me getting COVID. So I could have shown up and played because I didn't feel that bad. It felt like a mild cold, but I did not want to be a jerk and play with COVID. So I did the right thing and I stayed away from people. So I missed this event in 2022. So finally, in 2023, I was able to make it and I was doing very well for 90% of the day. I started winning right away and just didn't stop winning. And I was one of the chip leaders for almost the whole day. And then in the final hour, I lost more than half my stack, just running awful. And then I came back the next day with a below average stack, but still playable. And then I ran it back up. Then I ran it back down. Then I ran it back up. Then I ran it back down to a tiny nub that was like two big blinds. Then I ran it back up again. Still below average, but I actually ran it back to a playable stack. And then I busted. <laughs> Nine spots from the money. So that was very frustrating. It was a very frustrating tournament, the way it all went down. Because I had moments of extreme hope and optimism and some very depressing meltdowns there. Meltdowns really based upon the cards I was getting. Not I wasn't tilting it off. So... I did not cash that event, which is sad. Nine spots for the money. Anyway, I will be uh, continuing to try my luck at the World Series on and off here. As I said, I cannot make as many events this year as I usually do, but I will be playing more. But I'm not playing today. Today was never a scheduled day unless I made day three of the 3K Limit Hold'em. I did get to meet listener David Bach, so nice to meet him. And I know he is doing well in that event. I haven't looked how it's going today, but he came back from a short stack himself and was doing very well at the end of day two. So good luck to him. Let's get right into the topics. We may have some co-hosts, by the way. Let's see if uh, Traderuski or Calwatt can make it. And then we will get going. I don't have time for any agenda, by the way. I'm going to briefly tell you what I'm going to do. We will do a Mike Gordinsky update. He's the one who had his box supposedly broken into and stolen from at the Bellagio. Give you an update on that. Then I will uh, go over the Ali Imservic confession. Very weird video he released. I'm going to play it and make comments. One of my favorite things to do on this show is play a video, especially a ridiculous video, and stop it and make comments. Like There's segments on this show I really enjoy doing. There's some I kind of feel okay about, some I don't really like doing that much, but I think I kind of need to do them. Whenever it's playing a video and commenting on it, I love it. Like That's personally fun for me. So I hope you enjoy it too when I do video commentating. So I let them know, both of the co-hosts that I'm on, they can call in when they feel like calling in. Let me give you a Mike Gorodinsky update. Mike Gorodinsky just won a bracelet. So that's nice. He's a very good player. He's a high stakes player, very successful. But more importantly, he is known throughout poker as a nice, easygoing guy. I don't know him, really. I know of him. But everybody says he's nice. Everybody likes him. I've never heard anyone say a single bad thing about Gorodinsky, who's also known to people as Gordo. I've heard of him for many years. I don't believe I've ever played with him. But this is one of those guys in poker who really just doesn't have haters. 
kind of like Phil Galfond, but now Galfond even has a few haters at this point, especially since he plunged himself into the Doug Polk controversy. But even before that, I, I think it kind of started when he ran his uh, ultimately failed online poker site. He got a few kind of mild haters. I wouldn't say that he has a lot of haters, but he's not someone that everybody likes at this point. I know there's some people who do not like Phil Galfond, but Gordinsky, I've never heard anyone bash him. I've never heard anyone say anything bad about him. He's just a, a nice, easygoing guy from everything I've heard. The problem when you're a nice, easygoing guy is that there are some incidents in life that call for you being an asshole. And if you cannot turn on that part of your personality, even if you're not normally an asshole, if you can't turn on the asshole part of your personality, you will sometimes get walked over. And I'm afraid this is what might be happening here, that Gordo is just too nice to properly handle this situation where it requires being aggressive and kind of an asshole. And when I say an asshole, I don't mean an asshole in the wrong. You can be in the right and also be an asshole regarding how you're approaching it, because sometimes that's the only way to make something happen is if you are just really pissed off, really aggressive, and the other side does not want to continue stalling you or screwing with you or lying to you, because some people will take advantage of you if you're too nice and too easygoing. Sometimes the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Now, I'm sure all of you know that I can turn on the asshole part of my personality when necessary. In fact, I have a number of haters in poker for that exact reason. And I also will do this in situations where I'm dealing with companies, where I feel that I'm being mistreated, not getting what I paid for, or being screwed over in some way, then I will turn on that side of my personality. I, I won't start with it. I will try to start off nice, but sometimes you have to turn that part on. Or otherwise, you just don't get any kind of resolution, at least not a resolution that would be in your favor or that's fair. And I have sometimes been asked by other people in my life to be the asshole for them, to be the heavy, to be the one who does this because they just really don't have it in them, either because of a fear of confrontation or that's just not really their personality or they get very stressed when they try to turn, turn on the asshole part of their personality. See, I can say this. I don't enjoy doing it. I don't enjoy like arguing with people and fighting for these things. Some people think I find it fun, but I don't. It's actually pretty stressful, but I can do it. I can do it. And while it's stressful, it's not something that upsets me to have to do. So I can do it. I can do it effectively. And it doesn't really take a lot out of me unless I'm just doing a whole lot of it, then it takes a lot out of me. But if it's only for short spurts, I can do it. But I don't enjoy it, and I don't like yelling at people, and I don't like arguing with people. It's not fun, but sometimes you have to do it. And if you are going through life where you never do that, where you're never pressing hard for your side, then you're probably getting walked all over at some points in your life, because it's impossible to go through life where that won't be necessary. Trader Ruski, hello. What's happening, Drop? Good to have you here. I figured you could make it since uh, we're not up to your 8 p.m. bedtime. 
not sleeping yet, but I do have a meeting at five. Oh, I'm meeting at five. That's right. You, you told me about it. Okay, so um, now that I've given this little intro about uh, having to be an asshole, I'm going to play you a very short clip of Mike Gordinsky on the Poker Boat, the Poker Go podcast, where he did this because he won that uh, horse event recently. So they did this with him. This was hosted by Donnie Peters and Tim Duckworth. And I'm only going to play you just the very short clip of him giving an update, which they asked for. He didn't offer the update, and he's been not giving any update on Twitter, which, by the way, is a little bit annoying because he's, like, asking for the community's help, and a number of people gave advice, including me, and he responded to my tweets. I'm not saying he's ignoring me, and he doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't owe you anything. But if you bring something out to Twitter that's a serious situation like this that kind of scares and, and affects a lot of people who might have a box over at Bellagio or anywhere else in Vegas, you would think that people are kind of owed an update to the whole thing. And even if you can't give one for some kind of legal reason or utilitarian reason, at least say that. At least say, well, I'd love to give you guys an update, but uh, there's some things I can't talk about right now, so I'll, I'll keep you guys informed. Just uh, please be patient. Something like that. I mean, if an update's going to cause them some problems, then fine. But just to leave us hanging... I don't love that, but anyway, here's the update he did give when asked about it on the Poker Go podcast. Um, so I'm still kind of waiting from a quote-unquote official word, but basically they ran a security process, um, and according to them, I'm the only person that accessed it. So compensation at this point is uh, looking unlikely, but I'm hoping to have further conversations with some execs at MGM. So that's, yeah. Okay, that's it. Now he's talking about how his box at Bellagio, when he tried to get into it, his key didn't work. They just could not get into it with his key. Remember, to open any kind of safe deposit box, it needs two keys. It needs the house key, which they control there at the place where the boxes are. This is both at the bank and at uh, casinos. So there's a house key, and there's your personal key. And both are necessary. If you only have one of them, it won't open. And if either of these two keys get lost then the box would have to be drilled open. Well, presumably they could make another house key if that gets lost. But if you lose your personal keys, because they don't have a copy of your keys, that's by design. So this way, nobody there can get into it without actually drilling it open. If you lose your key, then that's what they have to do is drill it open. So his key didn't work. Then they did drill it open. And then he found there was nothing in there. I don't know how much he lost, but I'm guessing it was a lot because he's a high stakes player. So I doubt he had like $5,000 in there. It's probably a lot more than that. Could have been six figures, probably was six figures, maybe even seven, but I'm guessing probably six figures. So that's a big deal. It's a nightmare. Imagine you go to your box and it's, <laughs> there's nothing in it. First, your key doesn't work, and then they finally get it open and there's nothing in it. So I suggested at the time that maybe they were going to the wrong box the whole way. Maybe it wasn't his box. Maybe his key didn't work because they went to the wrong box and they drilled open the wrong box and it happened to be an empty box and maybe his own box was sitting there that was full the entire time. So I suggested that to him, and he gave kind of a weird response going, well, I guess that's possible. I, you know, I've trusted the manager to handle it properly. I'm going, no, you don't trust anybody to handle it properly when your money's at stake. When big money's at stake, you need to make sure that they have checked everything, including that they didn't accidentally go to the wrong box. So I'm assuming at this point, but I can't assume too much here because it seems like he's just kind of leaving it in their hands. But I'm assuming at this point, he did go back and check that. But maybe not, but I'm assuming he did. So what he's claiming in this update, let's listen once again. It's so short I can play it uh, 
the second time for you. You referenced it. I don't know if you could tell us any more, if there's any more clarity uh, with what happened at the start of the summer at Bellagio. Um, so I'm still kind of waiting from a quote-unquote official word, but basically they ran a security process, um, and according to them, I'm the only person that accessed it. So, Okay, right there. They ran a security process. According to them, I'm the only one that accessed it. Well, I don't know what that process is. Is it just looking at his signatures and seeing who entered the box? Because that's how they do it. I don't think they went through all the footage of everybody accessing the box since the last time he accessed it, which I don't know what time frame we're talking about. There's still, still a lot of boxes being accessed. I don't think they sat there watching, you know, like 200 hours worth of footage to see if anybody got into his box. I don't think that's what happened. I think they may have just pulled his card to see if somebody claimed to be him with a fake ID to open it, and they did not see that. They saw that the last time the box was accessed, according to the card you sign when you access any box, was the last time he really did access it. And then they're like, well, sorry. uh, From what we can see from our security process, we can see that the last person to access it prior to this was you. So we don't know how this happened, Mr. Gordinsky, and it's your word against ours regarding that. You know, you say that you weren't in there, and you said you had money in there, but how do we know that? How do we know you really had money in there? How do we know you didn't chunk it all off, and you're trying to make this up, and your box is actually empty? Because, of course, they have no idea what's in your box. It's only you who knows that. So what if you really did lose all your money in your box? I'm not saying he did. I'm just saying, what if someone did this? They lost all their money, and then they claimed the next time they came to their box that someone stole from it. So I can understand Bellagio just not taking his word for it, even though he's a known trustworthy person in poker. I understand how in absence of proof that something happened, that they're not going to compensate him. However, there's still a lot of questions here. Let me finish playing again what he said. Compensation at this point is uh, looking unlikely, but I'm hoping to have further conversations with some execs at MGM. So that's, yeah. He's hoping to have further conversations with execs, meaning executives at MGM. I mean, okay, that's good. That's good. He's not just leaving it in the hands of some low-level manager there. And maybe he does have some contacts there that might be able to force this to be investigated a bit more aggressively. I'm just still so confused how it is possible that his key did not work. See, if it did work and they opened it up and it was empty, then he'd be kind of screwed. Because at that point, it's very hard to prove that you ever had money in there or that you had money in there last time when you closed it. So short of somehow having you on camera closing the box with money in there, which they probably don't have, then he's pretty much screwed in that situation. And the best he can hope for is that they could go over the footage and see if his box was ever touched, but it could be weeks of footage. So who knows? Like there's only so much footage they can look at and there's only so much footage you can expect them to look at. So let's say it was three months between when you last access your box and when you come back in and all the money's gone. In a perfect world, there'd be someone watching three months worth of footage to find who accessed your box, but in a real world, they're not going to spend three months on your case. So there's what is reasonable and what's not. But since his key didn't work, that piece needs to be investigated. Why do they not investigate why his key doesn't work? Because he can give them the key and say, okay, try this, explain why this doesn't work, and then have them investigate from there what caused his key not to work? Is that some coincidence? His key stops working and the box is empty. So provided they went to the right box, which again, it could have been the wrong box. And I really, really hope that someone has checked for this. I really hope someone made sure that was the box that they opened 
and drilled open because it's still possible that his money's still sitting right there in the correct box. That would be hilarious if after all this, that's what ends up being the case, which is my guess as to a possibility. But if it was not that, if they verified this one was his box, then they should look why the key doesn't work. Wouldn't there be record drop of, I mean, if they did change the key at some point, and maybe it was somebody else's box, and they opened the wrong one, and that guy took the cash, like you had said in a past incident, or something happened to somebody. Would it, they don't do it internal, right? Don't they, wouldn't they have to call an outside source? I'd imagine. No, I think they do have an internal way to do it, but you do bring up a good point, and that's kind of what I was getting at, is that the lock can't just change on his box without a process occurring. So he needs to find out the answer. The answer to the question, how did the lock change on my box? Unless somehow his key just went bad. Maybe he bent his key accidentally or something and didn't know it. Then maybe the lock didn't change. But this is what needs to be investigated. Not so much looking at his card of who accessed the box last. I mean, that's a good thing to do, too, in case someone impersonated him and then got into the box somehow. Or if somebody impersonated him and got the key change and got it drilled open. But they should have the record of all this. If it got drilled for any reason, if it got changed for any reason then this should be in the records there. And if it's not in the records, then the Bellagio has to answer for this. They have to explain why his key stopped working. They have to say, well, we don't see any records that anything in your box was changed. Well, okay, then explain why the lock changed. You don't see records. Explain how this happened. And at that point, he might have a case. Because otherwise, it's your word against theirs. If his key still worked, he'd be screwed. But since his key did not work, apparently... There's a real answer he needs to get from them that they apparently are not giving him. And if I were him, this is where I would turn on the asshole mode and say, come on, guys, we've got to solve this one. I want an answer on this. And I'd get the police involved, too. But I would say I want an answer on this. And fortunately, he's not a nobody. Fortunately, he is a well-known and well-respected, honest player in poker. So I would say I want an answer right now and right now meaning not at this moment, but within a few days, how it's possible that the lock changed in my box without you having record of it. And if the lock didn't change, then show me my key opening it then. Show me why my key's not working. And if they refuse to answer that or just stall me going, well, we're going to look into it. We don't know. It may take a few weeks. Then I would say, no, I'm not giving you a few weeks. I'm giving you a few days. And if you don't, I'm going to blow this up all over Twitter and you're going to look horrible. So this is a very bad thing. I got a lot of money stolen from me, and I want your cooperation, and I want this given a priority. But I don't think Gordinsky is like that. I don't think he has that element of his personality to turn on. Now, I've never met him. At least I don't think I did. And I don't know him, obviously. So maybe he does. Maybe he does have that ability. But I would guess from what I've heard of him that he doesn't. And the reason I would guess that is that someone who's been in poker as long as he does, or has, and does not have anyone who dislikes him. There's not a single story of Gordinsky being a jerk or an asshole to somebody or having a beef with somebody. On one hand, that's good because it means he's a very nice, agreeable guy. On the other hand, that shows he probably is someone who does not ever let situations escalate and does never, never escalates them himself. He kind of avoids confrontation. These are guesses, of course, on my part, but this is my theory from his personality type 
and that personality type, while great as far as making friends and having respect from the community and having people like you, is not very good for a situation like this. So he really needs to use his platform, which is substantial, to get Bellagio to have a fire lit under their asses regarding this matter. Because imagine if he went around to all the big uh, shows, too. He could go on Doug Polk's show. He could go on Joey Ingram's show. He could go on Matt Berkey's show. He could go on all these very well-watched poker shows and talk about this and talk about how Bellagio is not cooperating. They're just very slow, and they're just not solving this, and they're not answering very simple questions like why the box won't open. And with enough publicity about this, he could even go to local Vegas media. It's an interesting story. If he did all this, I would have to imagine that this would become a huge story and that Bellagio would find a way to make it right and perhaps even compensate him just to make it go away. Because this is not a small business here. This is a large business. So sometimes the large business, even if they cannot prove it, they'll know they screwed something up. Like let's say Bellagio has to acknowledge that the box was broken into or had the lock changed in some way because a lock can't change itself. So if Bellagio has to acknowledge that the lock is different than when he last used it, that's very, very embarrassing for them. And at that point, it's much better to just pay him to go away because they know they screwed up and they know he can prove they screwed up. So that's what he should be doing here. Going to talk to executives of MGM is not the right play here. I'm not saying he shouldn't, but he needs to do all this in parallel. Now, of course, he's got a lot of money, so maybe he feels that he has time on his side. But where he doesn't have time on his side is that he already put the story out on Twitter and then just kind of let it die. So you got to hit all of this while it's hot. What I've done here is I've hit on the time I'm doing this show while it's hot, and I've got a second co-host on here. Calwatt, hello. How you doing, Druff? We're going to have five minutes of two co-hosts because uh, Trader Ruski has a meeting at 5, and it's 4.55. Uh-huh. But- the men's group What's is meeting at night now, too? What's going <laughs> on, man? That's different than you think, but I do have a men's group meeting later. <laughs> so, Druff, uh, are you teaching people how to get quads in the WSOP tournaments? Is that something that's going on? You know, I think I suffered what Kessler calls the Poker News curse because they finally wrote me up in Poker News for the first time this World Series. And Kessler hates this because when they write him up, he always loses afterwards. So people like... Mm-hmm. Whenever it's something positive about him, like he's, he's uh, high in the chip counts or they do a coverage of a hand where he wins a big pot and then he immediately goes in the toilet after that and he's gotten to the point where he's like superstitious about it. Well, they wrote me up about making quad tens and uh, not only did I bust the event nine spots for the money, but the guy I got the quad tens against, who then I beat in a subsequent hand all in, so this guy was short stacked, he made day three. Ugh. And this was a limit event, right? Yeah. Six max limit hold'em. So that was depressing. Anyway, uh, that's about all I can say about this Gordinsky matter. It's just making me a little frustrated to watch. You know, I feel there's so much more he could do about this that he's not. And I'm not going to interfere. This is his thing. You know how they, the Christians say, Jesus helps those who help themselves. Well, Dan Druff helps those who helps themselves. So I, I, he apparently doesn't want help. So it's his money. It's not my situation to interfere in. I'm just commenting on it because he's been public about it. 
And I just don't think he's handling this aggressively enough, unless there's something I don't know. All Did right. he offer you like 20% rough to uh, just turn it over to you? I would love that. 25%? I would take 20. I'd love that. If he could turn it over to me and say, okay, you manage the whole thing. I'll do what you say within reason. Just you run this whole thing. I would totally do it because I, I bet I could put an end to this situation pretty quickly. Provided that the whole thing about his key not working is accurate. If he were to go back down there and the key were to work, then uh, he'd be in a much weaker position. But if that key did not work still, then I really could light a big fire on this one. I know it's kind of so right, rough, so but I kind of hope something bad like this happens to me. Because I will totally just sick you on it. I'll be like, all right, Druff, 20%. Go get him. I'll like take the dog off the chain and just let you go. I, I will. It would be entertaining just to watch you work. Yeah, you know the, the, I mean? the best thing you can have in a spot like this is where you have smoking gun proof that the other side did something wrong. That's the best thing, weapon you can have. And when you have that, and especially if it's like a big company, then they're going to eventually back down if you can publicize it enough. If you don't have a platform to publicize it, then you're screwed. But if you do, then you can often get resolution when you've got something that they cannot deny. And I think the whole thing with a key not working is a much bigger piece than anyone realizes. I don't think Gordinsky realizes it. Maybe Bellagio does. Of course, they're not going to point out their own uh, vulnerability here. But for some reason, people are not focusing on that piece when that's the biggest piece in this whole thing. All right. Before we run out of time, uh, by the way, Trader Risky, uh, nice having you. I assume you have to go. I do have to go. Um, Kawa, try to get the number out of him. We do it for 15%, 10%, 20%, you know, maybe even 5%. But Oh, trust me. I'm going to haggle him. I'm going to haggle him down, man. But I'm sure he's going to come out on top. <clears throat> All right. Just to cut me in for a point or two. Okay. <laughs> Thank Brother. you, Trader Risky. Good, good seeing good you here. Thank you, Trader Risky. Uh, you did, but... Did you hear about that Elon Musk? And Mark Zuckerberg want to have an MMA fight? That's Did so weird. That? That's so weird. Like, why? <laughs> why would they want to do this? Pretty crazy, man. I don't think it's ever going to happen. No, because it's... I think their their egos are too big. They don't want to be seen getting beat up in the cage. But man, Elon Musk is in his fifties hey and he's got the all physique here. of a bag of finally milk. Make a video I mean, he really does. All the cheating. And uh, Zuckerberg's much younger, and he actually. I'm not saying he's any good, but he actually trains BJJ and MMA and stuff like that. Yeah, that's what I would you think. Just, I would think that uh, Zuckerberg would have the big edge here for both of those things. Yeah, the age is pretty big, and then so oh, yeah. so is the training. So yeah, I was surprised to hear that too. I don't. Again, I don't think it's ever going to happen. But I, I think it's just Titanic egos. You know what I mean? Yes. And Musk was one who was uh, actually coming up with the idea of doing it. I'm sure Zuckerberg was like, sure, bring it on, old man. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I want to cover the big story here. This is the reason I'm actually doing new topics on this little emergency show rather than continuing what I did before that I, I got cut off because of Internet issues. That I will finish that off as well. But I wanted to do a few new topics today. And it's because a huge story dropped, and that was the Ali Imstravik video. Ali Imservik is, of course, a high-stakes player, very successful. Last year, Alex Foxen came out and put out an explosive allegation that there was a big high-stakes cheating scheme going on and that the two guilty parties were Ali Imservik and Jake Schindler. And then the allegations basically involved three things. Multi-accounting 
And just to be clear, because multi-accounting has a few different meanings in online poker, this particular type of multi-accounting was putting several accounts in the same tournament and also taking over accounts that were running deep in tournaments that he wasn't playing. Because he'd have his horses playing, and when they'd get deep, then he would take over and play for them because he was the better player. So, of course, that's uh, very much cheating and against the rules. So the, the bo- both forms of multi-accounting. Then I feel like these both happen a lot, man. Oh, they do. And then, uh, but he was supposedly one of the worst offenders and at high stakes. Then mm-hmm. also using real-time assistance, which also is happening a lot these days while playing online poker, using these tools that uh, advise you of what to do according to Game Theory Optimal. And then third, looking at Paul Fua's cards during a live tournament, because Paul Fua, who's a recreational player, at a very high-stakes tournament, was, I guess, kind of exposing his cards, and Ali played the hand perfectly. Uh, Never piss off or angle the whale. I mean, come on. Yeah, (laughs) so so that, uh, well, Fua didn't know that at the time, of course. Uh, So And, of course, the last thing wasn't proven. None of this was proven at the time, but Foxen was very sure of himself, and a lot of others in the high-stakes community came forward to say, yes, Foxen's not just making this up or talking out of his ass. We also have noticed this and uh, in fact Foxen was annoyed that more people were not calling it out so the, there were two call outs last year of high profile high stakes players one of them was the Ali and Jake thing that Foxen did and the other one was where and this is kind of inspired by the Ali and Jake call out that shortly after this Martin Zamani who was part of a cheating ring that uh Bryn Kenny was allegedly running. Martin Zamani then just abruptly came forward and went on Doug Polk's show to call out Bryn Kenny from the standpoint of, hey, I was part of this, and let me tell you what was going on. So the funny thing is, Zamani was admitting himself that he was cheating, and he also admitted that he had an issue with Bryn Kenny and wasn't just doing this because he felt guilty. Like, at no point did Zamani say, oh, yeah, I feel so bad about this now. He just said, yeah, I don't want to say why I'm coming out, but yeah, I have some issues with Bryn. So it was definitely like a revenge thing. That's why I always laugh when people root for Martin Zamani or treat him like he's a great guy. I'm like, no, no, this is just him coming out and calling out cheating he was part of because he's mad at his partner there. So anyway, I don't want to talk about all that again. But ever since then, Jake and Ali have had a horrible reputation in poker. And some people were very upset that they were still apparently welcome at the World Series. And Jake even won a bracelet last year, which pissed people off. Ali has not been back at the World Series, to my knowledge, either last year or this year since this came out, but uh, Jake has. But Ali has been asked about it when he's been at other events, and he's never denied it, and in fact just says no comment when people ask him about it, which isn't what you say if you're being wrongly accused of cheating. Even if you don't want to say too much because you think there might be uh, lawsuits or some kind of uh, legal or criminal action. Like I can understand not wanting to give all the details, though I would think if you're totally innocent, you should. But I would understand if you just don't want to say anything for some sort of legal reason. But to just say no comment, to not even be able to say, no, I didn't do it, but uh, I'll have to explain later. But I, I absolutely didn't do any of this. Like That does not put you in any jeopardy to say that if you really are innocent. So the fact that his reputation was going in the complete toilet and that he would not comment on it and he would not even deny it when people would ask him. He wouldn't just say, it's not true, but I don't want to talk about it. He just would say, no comment. So it was pretty damn clear that he was guilty of at least some cheating and probably 
all of what was being alleged, or at least most of what's being alleged. So that also made people really sure that Foxen's allegations were true or mostly true. So for all this time, which is getting close to a year and a half, he did not comment on it. But then something big dropped. And that was two days ago, Ali dropped a video called Breaking My Silence and Setting the Record Straight, a 28-minute long video. Very bizarre video. I'm not even sure what the goal was here. It's a very weird video. Like, if I were his PR rep, I would have told him, no. <laughs> like, if you want to put out a video, this is not it. So, since we only have limited time, I'm going to start playing it. Calwatt, if you can't hear it, let me know. I think you should be able to hear it. But if you can't, then say something and I'll fix it. I'll let you know. And we're going to comment on this. Hey, guys. Ollie here. I want to finally make a video and address all the cheating allegations to speak out about what is actually true. Um, all right, let's start right around the beginning of 2020. When COVID hit, there was insane high-stakes action online. We were all playing like a ridiculous amount of buy-ins every day, and I ended up making a mistake, a really bad mistake, and uh, began multi-accounting MTTs at that time. I did this for about four to five months before I stopped. And I had originally started doing this because I knew there were there was a lot of shady, shady shit happening in those games. Um, I knew there were people card sharing and multiing and working as teams, um, things like that. Uh, so originally I was just trying to fight against that so I, so I could keep playing in those kind of games. It doesn't excuse what I did. Um, there were plenty of guys in those pools that were playing good, honest poker. And they didn't deserve it. They didn't deserve me multi-accounting. I'm especially sorry to those people, the David Peters, Ike Haxton, Nick Petrangelo's of the world. Like, I'm 100% sure they are they were playing about as legit as possible. Okay, let me stop right here. This is a weird way to open. So, he's admitting that he multi-accounted during these tournaments. He's admitting that right here. And he's claiming the reason he did it. He called it a mistake, but that's the most remorse we get from him. And I guess we get a little remorse. He's saying that there were some honest players like Nick Petrangelo and David Peters, who he's convinced were not cheating in any way, but that there were other people there who were cheating in various ways. So he felt that he had to cheat in order to keep up, which is... That's like a very calculated mistake, Druff. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? The mistake is usually like, ooh, you know, I picked out the wrong kind of cheese. Not that I've got this all this logic behind the reason why I'm doing this thing that I'm doing. Yeah, or it's not like he just did something on a whim. As, as you said, it's calculated. He's like thinking, yeah. okay, there's a lot of people in these tournaments with me who are cheating. So rather than trying to address that and call these people out and stop the cheating, I'm just going to cheat myself. And yeah, there's some people there who aren't cheating, but screw them. <laughs> I, I don't care and if other people are doing it. One of the major differences between manslaughter and murder is it's premeditated. Yeah. So you've thought about doing it ahead of time, right? Let me ask you a question, though. He's remorseful. He's saying he's sorry. Does that mean he's giving all the money back that he won? I would think that's a big no. Let's go on and uh, take a listen. Okay, to him. By the way, then, he, then I don't. Okay. People were, were mocking this <laughs> video, of course. Sorry. People were mocking this video, of course. And one of the funny things is he's sitting in a room with all these trophies of tournament he went behind him. Like that's oh, not the right time God. to display your trophies. You you should just sit in a room that's just very neutral 
without anything that's propping yourself up in any way. Like you know, you don't have trophies behind everyone reminding what a great player you are. Uh, but also, you're admitting to cheating. That's also yeah. a bad. And th- this look. sounds like a sorry, not sorry, though. Yes, you know it I mean? does. Like, uh, sorry, but I'm keeping the money. Like, you know. Yes. Yeah, so- sorry, anyway, I've, yeah. I've, I've waited for this to die, but a year and a half has passed, and everybody still hates me, and I'm trying to be able to come yeah. back and play poker tournaments without people hassling me or maybe kicking my ass. So let me try to put this out, and I'm just going to like hastily record a 28 minute video and make everything worse. So here we go. I'll play the rest of it. Um. I began feeling really bad about what I was doing, and I ended up, I just stopped multi after those four to five months. Okay, what? what? You felt bad about it after four or five months? I, I felt so bad about all the money I'm winning, and I just decided, yeah, I'm just feeling too guilty. Yeah. It's taken five months, but yeah, I, I'm feeling guilty now. Got a lot of money. Yeah, you know, after after I got the first five million, I, I started to feel guilty and decided I was I was good, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, that, I don't need to win anymore. And in fact, I'm going to play these honestly and start losing against the people I still think are cheating. So there's other cheaters there, but I, you know, no problem. I've won enough cheating myself. I'm going to go back to playing uh, mm. without cheating and allow these people to cheat me. Yeah, sure, I believe that. And then for the next two months of online poker, um, I wasn't multi-accounting. I was just playing normal, honest poker. Um, then in August, I believe, GG Poker banned 82 players all at once for RTA, which to my understanding, for the majority of them meant having Munker preflop charts open. Okay, what's Munker preflop charts? He doesn't explain that. He just says uh, Munker preflop charts. Okay, there are preflop charts, which are not really actual charts. These are electronic charts that look up a ton of situations where if you printed them out, it'd probably take, you know, 20 football fields to print out. So these aren't real charts. We've talked about that before. So these Munker charts are put out by a guy who goes by Munker guy. I don't know why he took that name, but that's who he is on Twitter. Munker guy. He also likes to just comment on random poker stuff. I'm not even sure who it is, but that's the charts he's talking about. Now, nothing against Munker guy here. I mean, preflop charts by themselves are not cheating. It's only if they're being used while you're playing these tournaments. They're supposed to be used as a training tool. But the yeah, these are not just your dad's charts, man. They're not even close. Yeah, they're, they're what you use to calculate ranges, and they take additional information to the current situation in hand. Like this is not just a chart. Yeah. So he's claiming that <laughs> not. Now listen to this. He's going to claim that GG Poker unfairly banned him for only using these Munker charts. <laughs> Seriously, that's the case he's going to make here. This is the guy who admitted he, at least for five months, he was cheating with multi-accounting, but that all he was doing on GG was the Munker charts, and they just uh, they banned him unfairly. Let's listen to this. While they were playing, just, just to drive it home though, Drew, yeah, I think before, you, a- before you play it. This is the the copy from the Munker Guy website. Uh, Munker Guy uses Poker Solver software to simulate GTO preflop ranges for a variety of games. ICM. I mean, it's it it is it's Solver software. It's yes. not charts. Yes. Anyway, go ahead. Time almost everybody that plays poker didn't think of that as an actual RTA, and I've actually had multiple well-respected high stakes players. Uh, tell me that they had Munker open another computer uh, for preflop charts, um, and they were just doing the same thing, but it was just untraceable. Well, yeah, well, okay, so why did the guys have Munker open on another computer? It's because they were worried about GG detecting it and banning them because GG said this is against their rules and that GG felt it was yeah. cheating. So th- there you are they right there. No. 
Yeah, they know they're doing something wrong. I mean, that's just insane. Yeah. Well, it was undetectable, and I, I opened it on a second burner phone. You yeah. know. Yeah. It's like I, you know, I had it open on my computer, so they banned me. But these other guys, they had it on a different computer. So come on, GG, why are you banning me? All these other guys are doing it; they're not banned. Well, that's the case with. Any kind of wrongdoing where some people get in trouble for it and some don't. That's why some criminals get arrested and some don't. It's, it's so stupid. It's a, this is such a weird excuse. This is two minutes into the video. This is not like buried at the 22-minute mark. This is him just right away moving on to complaining about why Gigi banned him. Let's listen to more. On their computer? Yeah. Um, regardless, I had $320,000 on my Gigi Poker account, and it was seized. And um, I initially had emailed uh, Gigi, and I tried to fight it, especially because I had heard that they were going to at least return the funds for what I believed was a common practice at the time, you know, the monkey charts being open. Um, their response to me was that I was banned for the monkey charts as well as multi-accounting. And when I got that email... I didn't even try to fight it. In my head, I was thinking, this is my punishment for what I did. No, that's not what you're thinking. You're thinking, shit, they realize I'm multi-accounting too? I thought maybe because it was just the Munker charts, I might be able to talk them into at least giving me the money. But, yep, they've got me on the multi-accounting, and there's no point to argue because they have proof I was multi-accounting. So... I might as well just drop this whole thing because it's just going to be banging my head into a wall. There's no chance they're going to allow it. They have the goods on me, so I give up. It was not, That's oh, right. I deserve That's punishment. Right. What he was thinking was, oh, shit, I got caught. Yeah, it's a, I got caught, and there's zero, there's zero chance they're going to give me the money back at this point. Yeah. yeah. And I deserve it. Yeah, you deserve it. And yeah, so um, after- It's just so insincere in the first three minutes here. I deserve it. See, no one's going to believe that. No one's going to believe for a second that he thinks he deserves it. If he's going to accurately tell this story, let's say you, you emailed them and then they pointed at the multi-accounting, what he should have said at that point is, okay, yep, so I, I realized that they were never going to give the money back and I dropped it. And people could infer what he meant by that. But to throw in all this insincere bullshit, I deserved it. That's my punishment. That's what I get for it. That's not what he was thinking. He was thinking, yes, I was taking a risk and I'm giving up on this 320 because one, I'll never get it back. And two, this was built into the risk of the whole thing where I make a lot of additional money and at some point they catch me and confiscate money and even though 320k seems like a lot it's probably not very much compared to the extra money he won with all these cheating activities but let's go on uh, live poker was coming back uh, yeah it was coming back already COVID was basically ending and I basically stopped playing online poker altogether I was honestly just trying to run away from what I did and only be judged on my merit in life poker. So I played everything, and I just tried to be the best I could and hope my mistakes would you know, be forgotten. I was obviously running away from it. Um, yeah, in that time, when I was only playing live, I had multiple of the high-stakes guys message me personally, uh, basically saying that they heard some some nasty things about about me and online poker you know like you know there were rumors coming about you know my multi and um in my response to them like i never officially admitted to it um 
But I told him that I was just trying to be judged on uh, my merit in live poker and uh, to get away from online. And just I was just trying to erase that past, basically. <laughs> I wonder how they reacted to that. It's like, hey, Ali, I heard you were cheating a lot in online poker. Is that true? Yeah, I'm just trying to get away from that and play live poker. Yeah, but Ali, did you cheat? You know, I'm just uh, trying to have everyone judge me on how good I am in live poker. Yeah, but we're not really asking about that. We're asking, like, did you cheat in online poker? Yeah, I'm just playing live to get away from people judging me in a different way. <laughs> what kind of answer is that? That's, that's such a weird thing to say. Like, he doesn't even explain why he's just not answering them. He's, just, he's trying to run away from it. Now, the one thing I do believe is that he was hoping that by not throwing fuel upon that fire, that it would go away on its own. That knowing there's a lot of scandals in poker, right. knowing there's a lot of drama in poker, knowing that every week it's something different on poker Twitter that people are uh, yelling about, that he was hoping that given enough time that people will start focusing on other things, that he can just quietly return. He was kind of hoping to become the... 2022, 2023 version of Justin Bonomo. Because if you remember, Justin Bonomo was caught multi-accounting in 2006. And today, while some people still give Bonomo a hard time about it, that most people don't think Bonomo equals cheater. Some people think Bonomo equals douchebag or Bonomo equals virtue signaler or Bonomo equals like super annoying. But people don't really think of him as a cheater until they kind of think more about him like oh yeah in 2006 he had the scandal and then of course people who came around after that a lot of them don't even know and uh, though i will say something about bonomo he recently was uh calling out the whole thing about martin cabrell and accusing him of cheating and some people were pointing out that it's ironic that bonomo has been one of the loudest voices here when he was caught cheating in 2006 and what bonomo was doing was hiding those comments on twitter to where you have to click on the little button to see the hidden comments he was actually hiding comments mentioning that, which I think is kind of crappy. Like, if you're going to comment on this when you're as high profile as Bonomo and when you did have your own cheating scandal where, where you admitted you cheated, you can't just hide it. You can't just make it to where anyone who brings that up to where they can't see those posts. I think that's pretty lousy to do. Otherwise, just don't comment. If you, if you can't take the heat of people coming back with, hey, Bonomo, you, you cheated too – now, Bonomo can come back and say, yeah, but that was uh, 17 years ago, and I was very young and stupid, and I, I made a big mistake, and I regret it to this day. And I, I've, You've seen the last 17 years, there's been no cheating allegations against me, so I, I'm still sorry about it, but there's yeah. nothing I can do. Uh, that, that's fine. Sorry, but to, Justin. Yeah. That's just something you're going to have to endure. But yeah. I, I will say that I do think that people need some kind of path to redemption, and I think you know Bonomo, whether you like him or not, far as i know hasn't done anything since then so 17 years what later it, th this guy this ali guy though man like he is just clueless about reading the temperature of the room with some of the stuff he's saying in this video like it's it's amazing yeah people just forget about everything and it just happened you know yeah so i i think what's happened here is that we're at this second world series since it occurred or since it was brought out and he's thinking, shit, this is just never going to go away. Every single year, I want to come back to the World Series and not get hassled. But it looks like this is forever going to follow me. People are going to keep mentioning me. People are going to keep mentioning yeah. the fact that Jake is out here playing and how they're pissed about that. That I'm just going to have this perpetually dogging me. I've got to say something, which, okay, but it's, it can't be this. <laughs> it can't be filled with all these uh, insincerities and also these weird statements like, 
about how when people are contacting him and he's just saying, yeah, I just want to have people judge me on my live poker play. People don't care about your live poker play. They're caring that you cheated at high stakes and weren't commenting on it. And, and the trophies. And the trophies. <laughs> trophies the, the poker trophies in the background. You probably won half of them multi-accounting. Oh, oh my goodness. Christ. Okay, let me play this. <laughs> and erase that perception of me and just prove that uh, my worth in the game. Um, while it was hopeful thinking, I should have admitted to my mistakes way back then and faced whatever added consequences uh, would come from it. Like, I should have just been ready for it and faced it and moved on. But I didn't. I was trying to run away from it. Uh, yeah, that was obviously another mistake. What he's trying to say here is that he's hoping by winning playing live that it would show everyone that he didn't only win because he was cheating he wins because he's a good poker player but that's not what the allegations been it's never been ali is a big fish who only won because he's cheating you can have a good player who also cheats and that's what everyone's perception was of him like everybody i haven't seen one person say ali sucks and that's the only reason he's able to win people who hate him have said he's good also, Druff, he did win multiple bracelets or something that put him in the spotlight, right? Isn't that going to draw even more scrutiny, you know? Yeah. If, if he starts you know, accepting all these awards and he's doing awesome, then people are going to come out of the woodwork and they're just going to hound him. Yeah, it's it's so stupid. Like, I, I get it. I, you, can you imagine he really believed that if he just goes and plays live and wins – that people are going to forget he cheated online. They'll go, well, he's good enough to win without cheating live, so, oh, well, let's just forget the cheating allegations that he's not answering to online. I guess that doesn't matter anymore. It's yeah. so stupid. So what if you're a winning player? You still cheated, and there's still a decent amount of money that you made that you wouldn't have made if you weren't doing that. I mean, you were obviously doing it for a reason. Yes. Yeah. Okay, let's continue. But, yeah, so after that, fast forward to 2022, and... This is when the majority of the absolute nonsense starts. Like now, I have to like talk about what's actually not real. Uh, okay, I hate to st- keep stopping it every few minutes or every few seconds, actually, but uh, I have to comment on this. He said the absolute nonsense starts. So the nonsense he's referring to are the various allegations that came out. And his point is, yeah, I was multi-accounting, but these other things, which I'll get into shortly weren't true. So that's why it was nonsense. How can you say that? If, if you were actually cheating, you're admitting to cheating, even if some of the additional allegations aren't true, which I don't believe him, I think they were all true, but even if they aren't, once you're cheating and you were caught and someone accurately accused you, if there are other cheating allegations that ride along with it because people don't want to give you the benefit of the doubt when you're staring at Paul Fua's cards, who also seems to be exposing them, and they say, well... Ali was a cheater with a multi-accounting, so yeah, it looks like he was probably cheating here too. You can't be mad at them for assuming this about you because you're an admitted cheater. How can he be mad about this? But he actually calls it nonsense. He's actually mad, as you're going to hear, that there were allegations against him that he says are not true. And even if he's correct, he has no right to be mad. The only way you can be mad is if you weren't cheating and someone's been putting out false rumors that you were. Then you have a right to be mad. But if you were cheating... And it's a mixture of correct and incorrect allegations against you, then tough luck. That's what happens when you are cheating and someone catches you, and then anything you're doing which looks suspicious, whether you're doing something wrong or not, is going to be 
thought of as cheating or possible cheating as well. That's the way it works with reputations. But let's go on. I'm at the final table of the Cypress 300K and I'm publicly accused of whole carding Paul Fua in what can only be described as a Twitter temper tantrum. A temper tantrum. So uh, let me start with disproving that. Uh, I was at the FT of the, I believe it was a, uh, well, hold on first. I, I, I want to say that there was plenty of, there's plenty of videos of me playing poker. And usually when somebody's looking at their cards, the live tell stuff I'm looking for is the timing of which they look at their cards and how consistent it is to what they normally do, along with like any micro expressions that their face makes. Um, yeah, these are just like common things I look for. So typically, especially in a big MTT like, the, like that one, I pay a lot of attention to as much as I can. So you'll see me typically, I, I'm basically just staring everybody down when they look at their cards. Um, even like four days prior, I think, uh, to that stream, I had made uh, the final table of the 100K. And I was sitting uh, right next to uh, Michael Soiza. And, and uh, when he would look at his cards, you could, like, in the stream, you could probably see me in the video just staring at his face, literally just standing right next to him, literally every time. I'm just gazing at, like, directly at his, at his eyes. Um, yeah, it's just what I do. And the extra step I take to try to play as hard as I can sometimes. Um, with Paul, I wanted to do it a little less since he is a recreational player who just, you know, he loves to play. Like, he's not a professional player. He just loves poker. He works at it, but, you know, it's, it, that's not where he makes all his money from. Um, and he's definitely someone that's not bad at poker. But if I'm being honest, I thought my energy was better spent focusing on other players. It's, I think it's just what made sense for me at the time. So I kept my eyes down when he was looking at his cards instead of staring him down like I would, you know, a lot of other professionals. And I was looking at the general direction of his cards so I can clearly see when his cards get flung into the muck. Um, and then I can look at the player next to act and, you know, try to pick up any reads I can on them. And um, for everybody that doesn't look for live tell stuff, um, this is just how they normally like follow the action. They're like looking down, they see a card mucked, and then they look at the next one, next next one. Um, and uh, if I could see Paul's cards, I would tell him either once or twice that I saw his cards, which, by the way, I've done many times in high roller fields, um, and openly told players at the table that I saw whatever card I saw. Like I, I feel like this happens like once a tournament. Um, I've done it on stream multiple times as well. Um, it's just like, it's not something that's like new to me to, or it's not something that's like new at all. Um, so it, 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 like that allegation, just complete bullshit. Um, okay. This is so rambling and this is such a case to me, at least of reverse engineering a video where people are making an allegation against you of something that you appear to have done on video, which is uh, trying to stare at somebody's cards when they seem to be exposing them. And so you watch the video yourself and think, okay, what is a rational explanation I can come up with after having seen this video of myself? What's a rational explanation for what I was doing here? So what he's come up with is this very convoluted thing. 
that usually he's staring directly at the faces of his opponents to try to get any kind of read, of, of to get any kind of tell, and that the one exception, the one person he doesn't stare at their faces is Paul Fua, because Paul Fua is an amateur, and for some reason uh, he's not going to make those expressions? <laughs> What? You know what this sounds like to me, Druff? It, it's like a, a guy being like, hey, baby, I know I cheated on you multiple times with your best friends, but I wasn't looking at her ass, I swear. I was just looking at that coffee mug over there. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I would never look at another girl's butt, I swear to God. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just such a weird story, too, that... The only reason he's looking at Paul Fua's cards is because he doesn't need to look at Paul Fua's face because he's not a pro, and therefore he's looking in that direction, to, like to, to get a different tell. It's so weird. Like if anyone's going to make more mistakes regarding giving tells, it's a recreational player. That's especially whose face you should be looking at, rather yeah, than staring also, at his cards. Like what you said earlier, like if he was willing to do all of these other things to cheat. Like, why would it be so crazy for anyone to think that he would look at someone's cards, for instance? Yeah, exactly. He's willing to do all of these other things in order to cheat. Exactly. And here is a 300K buy-in tournament. When he says 300K, he doesn't mean 300K guaranteed prize pool. He means $300,000 to enter at the Triton. So this is a very high-stakes tournament. And here he has the the guy next to him, who's a recreational player, who is exposing his cards. And he's thinking, wow, what a nice edge. And I'm just going to kind of casually stare down and watch when he exposes his cards, and I'm going to make amazing plays. And people won't suspect it because I'm known as a good player anyway. So they'll just assume that I'm making a ballsy play or making a good read. Let's uh, continue listening to this. Another allegation I had, uh, a big one is that I've heard a lot is... uh, ghosting and RTA accusations. Um, And there's a lot to say about that. I'm going to start this off by saying in the last, I don't know, five, six months or so, I have been looking for um, new backing arrangements for my horses that don't involve me or to um, just um, let them go completely so they can have a fresh start. And I'm hoping it ends up being a good way for them to get away from, you know, any of this bullshit and not be accused. Uh, I mean, like no dark clouds over there could be like hanging over just due to the, to the drama around me. This doesn't make any sense because I saw he was putting out there on some other platform. I'm not sure what it was. Someone found it and put it out on Twitter, but he didn't put it on Twitter. This was on some other platform, but he was looking for quote students and it seemed like it wasn't just for coaching. It seemed like it was students to learn how to play under him in his stable. And he kind of alludes to that there, saying that he's like lo- looking for horses. But then he goes on to say that he's looking to release horses, existing horses, because they're attached to the drama of him. And that anyone who plays with his backing is under a cloud of suspicion, especially online, of course. And that he's just dropped these people to let them play on their own. To me, what this sounds like, if he's really doing that, is that maybe this becomes like a secret backing deal, where he says, okay, you can't publicly be my horse anymore, otherwise people are going to constantly accuse you of various forms of cheating, so why don't we put out there, even though I'll still be backing you, 
why don't we put out there that you're disassociating with me and then maybe the suspicion will stop. In fact, maybe he got complaints from the horses like, come on, Ali, I, I can't continue being one of your horses because everyone assumes I'm a cheater now. So I really need to make a break. And maybe Ali said, okay, well, let's do a public break, but privately we'll still be doing the same thing. Like it could be something like that. I'm just speculating, but let's go on. And, um, you know, like I, I basically got them all homes within the last four or five months. And, uh, yeah, basically everybody other than two cash horses I still have. Um, so there's like recent allegations around me having some sort of ghosting operation going on now that is completely fucking ridiculous, especially considering I don't even have horses anymore to, to do any sort of ghosting operation. So like people are just like completely just like taking shit out of their ass now and coming up with new things. Okay. Um, the only poker I play nowadays is I play some random app games. I play like like some live cash games. Um, and I do a lot of poker coaching because I just really enjoy it. Um, and that's basically majority of poker. I don't play on ACR. I don't play online MTTs like at all. Um, in terms of ghosting, when I had my biggest stable, I was playing live MTTs almost every day, just playing the highest stakes stuff. I was traveling a bunch. Um, yeah, I was just playing all the biggest stuff. And when I had time to work on my stable, we would usually do group study sessions, going over hands in GTO trainer mostly. I didn't even have the time to go somebody on an FTA but like a 215 with 10K up top. Like wasn't even my radar. Like if I had an hour or two to spend with them, I would just be like, hey, let's, uh, we got a meeting in an hour. Uh, we're going to go over these kind of spots. Like be ready. That's- okay. Notice what he's doing here. First of all, he's using the classic, I didn't have time to have engaged in this wrongdoing excuse, which is dumb. Now, if it's about a particular day, if you say, on such and such day, this exact day, you did such and such thing, and you say, no, here's what I was doing that entire day. I was in a live poker tournament, whatever. If you have a good alibi for what you're doing the entire day to where there's no way you could have done what you were accused, fine. Over a period of many months or more than a year, whatever it might be this time period, you can't say, I had no time. Now, that might mean that some days you couldn't ghost because you didn't have time. I believe that. But I don't believe that every single day of the year, when significant tournaments were being played, that you just absolutely didn't have time to ghost. I don't believe it. I don't believe your calendar was so full all day and all night that every time a ghosting possibility came up to where it'd be worth your while, that you said, ah, I wish I could, but uh, I just don't have time. I don't believe it. I don't believe that time was a constraint here to where he couldn't do it. That's not a good excuse. And second, he says, well, why would I do it for these tournaments where there's 10K up top? It wouldn't be worth my time. Well, nobody's saying that at low stakes tournaments that he did this. So I have to imagine there were a lot of different types of tournaments being played online by his horses. Some low stakes with not a very high top prize and those he probably did not ghost. And then there were some that did have higher top prizes to where it'd be worth it, especially when the horses would be very deep. And it is worth his while to take over at that point, especially because it doesn't take a whole lot of time once you're like at the final table or down to the final 15 or whatever it might be. So saying... Well, and, and also, Druff, just from a broader perspective, when you've admitted to doing all of these unethical cheating things, you, you kind of you give up the right to having a benefit of a doubt. You know, you can't be indignant about it. You yes. Know, you're just going to have to accept 
that people are not going to, you know, if there's any kind of critical, credible accusations, people are probably going to be like, yeah, you know, probably makes sense. Like, I could see him doing that. You know what I mean? This is the worst part of the video. When I say the part, I mean the entire video, the tone he takes of this is ridiculous and that's just bullshit and that's just nonsense and all this crap people are saying. You can't take that tone that you're mad that nope. people are assuming this about you. You don't get to be indignant after you've been caught doing something like this. You know yeah. what I mean? You, you just have to did deal with it. Yeah, know? Ali, you have it stable, and you definitely did, which you're admitting to right in this video, you definitely did multi-account during tournaments. You've admitted this right here, and you had a stable. So you're telling me that it's bullshit for people to accuse you of ghosting? Of course that's going to no, be no, what bro, people assume. You would never cross that line. <laughs> you would never cross that line. Never. Never. Yeah, I, I ethical standards. I multi-accounted for five months, but uh, ghosting, nope. When that opportunity came up, I said, I'm too good of a person. That's against my personal yeah. ethics. I will multi-account, but I will not ghost. Very credible. <laughs> let's, let's listen to more here. That's kind of how it, how, how it was. Um, and I've had some other allegations about me ghosting my horses for big scores online. And uh, it's comical as fuck uh so i'll tell you my my horse's three biggest online scores i had a uh, 20 percent of a one million dollar score <laughs> that my good friend Christisha had when he won the um, 5k wpt online i backed him way back in the day uh but he did very well for himself in other places and he would just sell me 10 to 20 percent usually of stuff as like a thank you for you know helping him out with poker and things like that and just like a friendly thank you i guess um and at that ft when he was playing literally a whole FT, I was at the PokerGo studio that day playing, I believe, a 10K, and I was watching the stream on my phone sweating it. Like, I was around all these high-stakes players watching you know, on my watching the, the poker party poker stream on my phone and sweating the action. Like, I clearly could not have been playing. Uh, when my friend uh, Danny Lazarus won a bracelet in the online 3200, he did it while he was being vlogged by Ryan DePaulo. There's a YouTube video on it. Um, he was playing at Brian DePaul's house the whole day, being vlogged, and yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't there. <laughs> like, like it, I, I literally could not have helped him. And then um, when Justin Saliva won the online 10K about, I don't know, maybe it was a year ago now, I had a big piece off stake, and the rest was on stake. And he streamed the whole final table while he played it and posted it. I don't know where he posted it, but I know he streamed the whole final table while it was going on just so nobody could actually accuse him of anything or accuse me of being a part of it all. I see. So if you can name a few instances where you did not ghost, that means you never ghosted. If you were out in public and obviously couldn't do it without people noticing, or you just weren't able to do it, or the person was streaming everything themselves of themselves playing. So all these situations where you did not ghost... That means you also never ghosted. So, for example, if a guy who's breaking into a lot of homes around the city and stealing, if his excuse is, well, people are saying I did that, but keep in mind there were homes broken into in the city when I was getting a cavity filled and when I was at a party and when I was out of town and I can prove all these things. So how can you say I break into houses when I can show you right here a house got broken into while I was getting a cavity filled? Explain that one, huh? Well, he's not 
responding to specific allegations. He's just naming off ones that people might think he ghosted that he didn't. But that does not mean that in all the different ghosting opportunities that were out there in all this time, that there weren't times that he did. So this is also what people like to do when they're guilty, is they try to name times where it's impossible for them to have done the same thing, which is a stupid line of reasoning, because that only works if there are one or two allegations. If these were the only few allegations against him, if people said, well, the only three we believe were ghosting were these three, and then he has a good story for each of the three that checks out, okay, then at least he's gotten out of those. But you can't just cherry pick a few where you didn't do it and say, well, that just means I never did it. That's just moronic. And Come on, Druff. Ha- hashtag believe all poker players. Don't you think? <laughs> this is... This is such a weird video. He should have sent this to whatever few friends he has left and said, hey, do you think this is going to convince anyone or will it make it worse? He needed to send this to someone just for review. This is just a horrible video. So it's like comical that people are saying, oh, I'm ghosting my horse at these big FTs when it's... It's comical, guys. It's very comical people are making these allegations. <laughs> it's actual comedy. It's comical. Comical would be if somebody is making wild allegations against someone with a great reputation who actually didn't cheat, and just some paranoid weirdo or someone with an axe to grind is making up stories. Not in this case, not when you're a known and admitted cheater that has a stable and people think you also were ghosting. That's not comical. That's just common sense. It's literally impossible. Well, not literally impossible, but it's literally, there's little proof that it didn't happen. In the, in the biggest spots, by the way. Um, in terms of the RTA allegation, this is one of the most mind-boggling ones for me. Um, all the stats will tell you that this just isn't true. First off, I'll address my heads-up match with Doug Polk. We were playing 100-200 on WSP.com or 2550 where we forex the stakes on the side to turn it into 100-200. I think... I don't know, probably played, what, like three sessions or something? Um, and this was like a little before Doug's heads-up challenge with Negreanu, um, when Negreanu was about to happen. And uh, Doug was trying to play everybody. He was trying to get a bunch of hands in and study and just that's all, from my understanding, that's, that's all he was trying to t- work on. But he hadn't played any heads-up in a long time. And at this point, in my opinion, he wasn't as practiced heads-up and really wasn't playing that well. And... Um, Honestly, I also hadn't studied heads up in a while since I was focused on high stakes MTTs mostly, but uh, we were definitely both a bit rusty, but I was I was locked in in poker mode. Like uh, I I definitely didn't play that well, but in my opinion, I thought I played better than he did. Um, we played a couple of sessions. I think we had we had one like 10-hour session or so. Maybe it was like 13 hours. I can't remember. Um, and he openly has told people how bad, how bad he thought I played in that session. In all of the sessions, I think. Um, once again, I don't think either of us were playing particularly well at this point. Um, I won maybe like 20 buy-ins, I'm sure. Something something along those lines. And I'm sure he's gone through those hands. And I played very far from a solver. We, him and I both were playing lightning fast. Um, uh, and like, yeah, I'm sure he didn't think that highly of my play when you we were playing. But, I mean, all those things prove that there was no RTA when we played. And, like, yeah, I guess my bad play just proves it. I mean, whatever. Like, I guess I'm glad I played bad because it it proves that I clearly did an RTA against him. All right. Is he claiming 
that it's ridiculous to believe that he used RTAs just minutes after he was saying that he was banned for using Munker Solver? <laughs> Basically, yes. Well, what? Okay. All right. <laughs> Munker guy uses Poker Solver software. <laughs> and, and he admitted using that. Uh, I mean, I don't understand. Like, he, he admits using this thing and got banned for using it. And they, they say, uh, we solve optimal strategy for your specific poker game. And it's got all this stuff about what it does. And then he's indignant, like, ten minutes later about using... I mean, I don't understand. Yeah, and he's saying he's saying with the Doug match that he didn't play that well, even though he won 20 buy-ins, which is a lot. But he's, oh, I just won 20 buy-ins. That 20 buy-ins is a lot of money. It's it's a lot of yeah. buy-ins no matter what stakes you're playing, whether it's 1-2 or 100, 200. It's, it's, yeah. That's a lot of 20 buy-ins. So it's, oh, I just won 20 buy-ins. No big deal. I thought he was going to say, like, oh, yeah, I, I won, like, uh, one buy-in overall, so you know, I didn't win much. I only won, only won 20 buy-ins. Yeah, no biggie. But... This is what Doug said. Doug hasn't had much of a comment on it yet, but he said, putting together a video on Ali's cheating video, if anyone could please reference specific instances of Ali cheating or being banned over the years would be appreciated. Going to cross-reference his video and see what we come up with. Thanks. So he's looking for people to send him whatever they have. But notice Doug did not say, hey, guys, uh, Ali was right. I never suspected that he was cheating when he beat me for 20 buy-ins. Heads up. So, yeah, I... Think he was totally innocent on that one. Just wanted to put that. Like, he he didn't say that. Now we'll wait to see what Doug says about this. But I have a feeling that Doug is going to come forward and say that he suspected it. Here Ali is claiming that Ali or yeah Ali's claiming that Doug said that he was playing badly. That Doug privately told friends that Ali was playing badly, but beat him for twenty buy-ins. We'll have to wait to see what Doug says about this, but there's a good chance this is just a lie. There's a good chance that... But I, I still don't understand. Like, is his argument that the Munker guy stuff is not RTA and that he's talking about a different class of... Because everything I'm seeing here, it sure as hell looks like RTA to me. And why would we think that he's not using some kind of RTA? Why is it ridiculous to think he's using some kind of RTA stuff if he was banned for using RTA stuff? I don't. Yeah, I don't get it. The only possible is that, is that the argument that it's not art. Like he well, he doesn't he, consider the Munker guy stuff to be no, RTA. I, I, that was the argument for why he got banned. But it was kind of more like, well, everybody using it on there, it's just common practice. It sucks. I got banned from that. But they yeah, they just like, cheated better than you did by <laughs> using it on a second computer. That's but, all they did. With Doug, what he's saying is that. They both didn't play that great, that Doug even acknowledged he didn't play that great, that obviously he would have played well if he was using that. And and the biggest thing in his favor here, if true, is that they were both playing very fast. Now, if they were both playing lightning fast, then yeah, he wouldn't have time to look things up on the solver. Or he he wouldn't. It's possible he did use the solver, but only in certain spots. And it's also possible, by the way. I mean, it's possible he didn't use it against Doug, but he's acting indignant. Like, it's ridiculous that I would ever use RTA, like, which is, it doesn't make any sense because he just admitted using it previously. He must not consider the Munker guy stuff to be RTA, although it sure as hell looks like it to me. Yeah. And I I think also what's possible is that against Doug, he was sometimes using it, sometimes not. So 
he may have just been playing normally yeah. against Doug, except in spots where he, spot yeah, he didn't know what to do, and then he'd look it up. And it even makes sense to wait in a tough spot because you have to think. So if you're not cheating at all, you're going right. to be slower with a tough spot. So he probably thought, okay, perfect. I have a reason to be slow here. And then hands that kind of are straightforward, he doesn't use it. So I'm not saying people think he was stopping every hand to see what the solver would say. It, it may have just been a mixture. But we'll, we'll let Doug say, since Doug played him and is going over his hands, that Doug is probably taking some time here to reanalyze this and discuss you know, it. The only thing I will say is that you know, playing heads-up poker, I mean, it is pretty high variance. I know 20 buy-ins is a lot, um, but it's, you know, it's also relatively high variance. I mean, it, it could have happened. Yeah, it maybe. could have. But it, but the point is, you wouldn't put any of this past this guy. Yes. He's admitted all the shit that he's <laughs> done, you know? Yeah. Okay, let's go on. And, yeah, and saying, oh, he played fast, as I said, you, you could really not have any significant slowdown if you only limited it to using it during the tough spots. Then it would just appear like you're thinking. But uh, let's let's go on. In terms of RTA for MTTs slash RTA for my horses, <laughs> I mean, okay. RTA for my horses is one of the dumbest claims I've heard, actually, like, by a lot. Um, for online action, like, some... These guys are my friends still, but honestly, I've had one horse do really well online. I've had two do okay. And the rest have a graph that's either just down or break even. Um, plenty of you know who my horses were and their screen names and can confirm this like very easily. Um, yeah, it's not like a secret. Let me stop here. You're talking about results. You're being results-oriented right now, which does not prove anything. So let me tell you something that could have happened. The horses that did not do well happened to be the ones that you ghosted them and just ran bad. You just didn't win with them. Just because you take over ghosting doesn't mean it's an automatic win. It just means that the chance for them winning is higher. So maybe when you took over for them, you lost anyway. Or maybe when their big spots came up, you weren't available. Maybe you were at a live event. Maybe you were somewhere that you couldn't do this. Maybe you were sleeping. Who knows? So just because you have certain horses you can point to that didn't do well, that would be like somebody who is cheating in poker points to, well, what about this day? I lost this day. What about this day? I lost this day. What about this tournament? I lost this tournament. Oh, I couldn't have been cheating. <laughs> like, unless you can actually see all the cards uh, in Pot Ripper style, then you're never guaranteed to win, even if you're doing some form of cheating. So th- yeah, this means not the whole point of poker, right? Like, even if Ali is a significantly better player than someone he's ghosting, he's not guaranteed to win. Just because he takes it over, you know? And like you said, unless he's actually seeing the whole cards, and you're not guaranteed to win even if you're using the RTA. It just doesn't always work out that way. Yeah. yeah. I agree with you. He's being results-oriented. Yeah, and notice that he is just saying, hey, I have some people that aren't winning. <laughs> what, what does that mean? It's not like these are the only people who are accused of letting him ghost. And then he's like, look, everyone that people are saying that I ghosted hasn't been winning. So yeah, well, I do have a horse who won a whole lot. <laughs> well, there you go. Some of them are going to win a lot and some of them won't. That's that's the nature of ghosting because it's not a sure thing. And if those guys had Marian, any uh, sort of RTA and I was ghosting them whenever they made an FT, how? How would their graphs not just be straight up? Like, not to be cocky, but like, I'm, I can win very easily in a 215 online. No, you can't. You, you can't just win very easily in a 215 online. You just... There's a lot of 
variance, there's a lot that has to do with the card you're dealt. You can't just win easily. I mean, it's just, that is arrogant. <laughs> That's a ridiculous argument. Now, if, if there was a very large sample space, if these people made a lot of final tables and then just didn't have a very good record to where there's so many of these final tables that you'd look at it and go, oh, okay, yeah, that probably wasn't Ali because this person just, uh, after all these final tables didn't do very well, and also looking at the hand, there were so many played incorrectly, then you'd have a point just to say, well, you know, some certain accounts aren't winning, so it couldn't have been me. <laughs> if, if it was me, I would have won every time. <laughs> yeah, you actually have to have a pretty decent sample size to even know if you're a winning player. Yes, you know? yes, exactly. You like these soft FTs. Um, like these accusations just don't make much sense. I'm pretty sure I'm down money back in lifetime. I even let guys walk with 500k makeup, 300k makeup, 150k makeup, or I've just eaten that. Like, I've I've had a lot of makeup, and overall, I'm just down money backing people. He didn't need it. The people he scammed ate it. Uh, and for <laughs> the arcade that people claim I was using, um, I don't think people actually understand what arcade really means and like how, like how hard it is to arcade. Here we go. So I'll, I'll discuss it, I guess, real quick. Um, say I built an RTA and ran thousands and thousands of sims to use to try and play perfectly online. Those sims would assume everybody's the same stack, which in actuality MTTs, there are constant varying stack sizes. So if you're trying to play perfectly, if you're trying to play as optimally as possible, you have to adjust rangers everywhere slightly, and even your race sizes. Like, it's not common people do but yeah like you so sometimes you like one hand you'll, you'll min raise next position you're supposed to three and a half x for what like whatever possible reason anyway so these sims would already just not be super accurate but let's say i didn't care about that i was like these are good enough i'm still gonna be crushing the competition yada 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 once the mtt reaches level six to seven these sims are already like kind of useless with 30 to 35 percent of field gone you're already supposed to be playing a different game than Chip EV Theory dictates. And then you get to level 10 or 11 and you're down to half the field at this point. I mean, now, like, now it's like the strategies are significantly different. And um, what the with the varying stack sizes, um, that, that's going to matter even more now. And post-slop is just a completely different strategy as well. Like, there's plenty of ICM now with 50% of the field left. Um, now you're down to a quarter. Now, let's say you got a quarter field left. Guess what? Much, much different game you're playing once again. And um, the varying stack sizes matter even more so now, and so on and so on. Like, things are just changing. Like, it's a different game, uh, depending on um, where the guy's open from and things like that. Like, I mean, their stack size, like, it just, it just matters so much more at this point in the tournament. It's literally impossible for me to build an RTA where I just have all these post-slop spots ran for the hundreds of thousands of unique situations that could even come up. Um, even nowadays, um, there are so, so many um, tools out there that can give you an idea of how pre-flop um, should look based on how much of the field is left. What he's doing here with all this rambling is trying to convince you these tools, they don't really help. There's all these reasons why these tools are not perfect. There's all these reasons why these tools will not give you the edge you think they do. So therefore, I'm not a cheater. What? <laughs> then why are you using them? 
why, why, why would anyone exactly. use that? Exactly. If they don't work, why are you using them? Come on. Come on. Right? I heard the same stupid argument about allowing these at the World Series. Well, you guys are overestimating the edge. They don't really help that much. Well, then why is anybody using them? If, if it's so inconsequential, why does anybody use them? So I don't buy that. They wouldn't use them if they were inconsequential. So that's what he's trying to convince you of here is that even if he was doing this, that it would hardly help at all, which is BS. Now, it's true that these don't make it a lock for you to win. But saying that, oh, this changes and that changes and with different stack sizes, you have to play differently and the solvers may not completely account for that and blah, blah, blah. That does not mean anything. And also, these are not bots. So he is correct that based upon various circumstances, you may want to change certain things about your play that the solver wouldn't see, such as the type of player. But that's something that's within your power. If you're using a solver and it says open such and such, open min raise, open three times the blind, open three and a half times the blind. You go, no, I'm actually not going to do that for X and Y reason because of the players I'm up against. Or the, You can add a human element to this too when making your decision. So you see what the solver recommends and you either say, yes, I agree with the solver or nope, I'm going to deviate for such and such reason. So that actually makes it pretty the powerful. Solvers, the solvers don't make you a lock to win. But you know what does? You know what makes you a lock to win? If Ali ghosts you, because he is just that good. The graph <laughs> will go straight up, right? Just straight to the moon. Yes. He's so good. Yes. Like, I'll give you guys an example, by the way, of not really talking about solvers, of where the human element can have to do with the move you make. You know, they're, they're reads based on what, the other players are going to do so for instance one of the last tournaments i played there was a guy that i noticed that when it was mid to late position like he was opening everything you know and i would just shove over the top of him whenever he would do that and he would just fold yeah know? yeah that's another example and and uh, or if the blinds are especially tight and you notice this then you can start yeah. uh, in late position opening a lot more so that's now, I'm sure some RTA does that take that into account. Like they'll have VPIP from various positions and all that kind of stuff. Like I'm sure it takes some of that into account. Well, that's that's yeah. where the difference is between the charts and the and the more advanced RTA that's actually keeping track of of all those stats. So it is true the charts don't account for that. The charts yeah. more just deal with everybody's stack size and your stack size and your position and their position. And that would only really work for online play too, because you're not going to. Pro- realistically, you're probably not keeping track of every player's VPIP from every position in yeah. live poker. Like it would be too difficult to do. But what he's explaining here is, oh, you know, if if the solver, if you just always go by what the solver says to do, it's going to make some mistakes based upon various elements, especially as things in the tournament change. Well, that's true. But the thing not is, you don't have to. Not. But but you don't have to. <laughs> and you don't have to take the solver's advice if you've noticed something that requires modification. So th- this is a dumb explanation he's giving, but let's hear him ramble more. Um, and like, you, you, I'm sure you guys know all the tools and like, like it, it's going to show you how things change pre-flop and stuff, but you got to run what would probably be hundreds of thousands of simps still to even have like, you know, everything you need. And they still don't give you the post-flop answers, which obviously post-flop is going to be more important almost always. Um, so it ends up just being impossible to run like uh, to ha- to like create like a real RTA for FTTs. 
I mean, you could make one, but it's not going to be good. It's it's going and it's going to take a lot of time. Um, I also heard more specifically that people think that both Jake and I have a stable that we gave this magical dream machine to. Right away, this claim is absurd. I've never backed a single person with Jake. Like, never um, done much business with him other than like swapping some. And he's he's a good friend of mine. I love that guy, but I, I never backed anybody with Jake. Um, the other stuff I heard was some. I heard, I heard that there was a uh, chip dumping. Before we get to the chip dumping, I love this. Yeah, Jake's my good friend, and you yeah. know, uh, and yeah, I've multi-accounted, and yeah, everybody thinks Jake cheated too, and also Jake hasn't addressed it and denied it. But even though he's my good friend, who also won't deny having cheated, and I'm admitting right now having cheated, uh, we never ran a stable together, guys. It's absurd that you could think that we would have ever done such a thing. <laughs> It's just, it's amazing the anger that he is displaying in this video. Let's listen to the chip dumping thing now. Allegations? Well, let's see. We're, we're, I'm not even sure where to start with this, honestly. The few horses that I've had fire some 10Ks and 25Ks. Um, for anybody that plays MTTs and, and know, like, when, like the plays those MTTs, knows how hard I would play against all my horses that played those, um, just to make sure I didn't get those accusations. And, like, I actually never did, like, while I was playing those things with them. Like, no one ever assumed that, really. The only accusation I got was during some Aria 10K, where I snap-called River with King High against Brock. First off, Brock was never one of my horses. I... The, what I had with him is that I would usually be auto-booked or 10% of him and everything he plays as a thank you for um, how much I helped him with poker. And that's it. Like, I would occasionally get, like, you know, 20% of a 25K or something, you know? Um, but um, this was a spot where I snap-called him with King High on the River. And, uh, yeah, I guess let me just explain why this is such an outrageous claim. Um, so we were in level four of the MTT with Layridge still open. So if I was somehow backing him, which I wasn't and snap called and he busted that the way that this works is the chips that I gained would be worth less from a backing perspective, um, than him, uh, re-entering the MTT. So if I was backing him, assuming Assuming I like I gained a full starting stack worth of chips, which honestly I'm pretty sure it wasn't <laughs> in this exact hand. Pretty sure it was less, um, but let's assume it was a full starting stack. Um, these chips aren't actually worth 10k USD for me here um, when it's being added to my stack because um, the more chips you have, the less each chip is actually worth from a, a dollar perspective. But Brock re-entering, if I was backing him, actually cost me a full 10500 due to the rake to re-enter. Okay. I mean, this is one of these spots where maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. It's well known that Brock Wilson, that's who he's referring to, not uh, 2000s online poker star and double bracelet winner Brock Parker. It's not, not that Brock. It's the, the, not the magic Brock. This is the guy Brock Wilson who's been playing a lot of tournaments lately. He is a well-known friend of Ali's. 
You can even find this if you Google Brock Wilson, Ali Imsrovic. You can see articles about this from 2021 before there was any controversy. So there's no question those two were friends, and there's no question that Brock Wilson credits Ali for helping him elevate his game and becoming a good tournament player. So was he backing Brock? I don't know. Was that a chip dump where Brock went all in and he called him with King High and was correct? I don't know. This could be one of these things where it just was something that looked bad, but was not something they were actually doing intentionally. Maybe he isn't backing Brock Wilson. Maybe this really was them each playing on their own dime. And he just knows how Brock plays because he helped uh, train him. And he decided to call and was correct. So I'm not saying this is for sure something where there was cheating going on. It may not have been. However, this is another situation where it's something that he can't be angry that people are suspecting. And his explanation as to why this wouldn't help is absurd. He's like, oh, well, then Brock has to re-enter. If, you know, if he were one of my horses and he re-entered at that point, then I'd be paying $500 in rake. Yeah. $500 in rake does not figure into this in a 10K tournament. If the goal is to get Ali chips because Ali feels he has a big edge over the field once he's got a big stack and can put pressure on people. And Ali has noticed that in these MTTs that the pressure he puts on players who have uh, middle-sized stacks really gains him an edge once he's got a big stack and they're afraid of busting against him. And it also insulates him from having to worry about going short stack if he makes moves that fail. If Ali has noticed this, then getting a big stack via chip dumping is very valuable to him. And it's worth both the $10,000 buy-in and the 500 in rake. So that's a, an absurd excuse as to why this is impossible. If the answer is just, no, I didn't back him, and I've never backed him, and I have no way I can prove it, but that's the truth, well, you know, maybe it's right, maybe it's not, but there's, again, no way he can be indignant about people assuming this, given the weird call that he made that ended up being correct. It's also possible that they just had some kind of swap going on and he figured out, okay, well, either I'm going to be right about this and have a big stack or I'm going to bust and I'm going to have a piece of this swap. So, you know, based upon the equity of, of uh, the swap we had, this is worth doing. It, it could be a lot of things. It could be something as simple, just that he knows Brock's style so well that he figured that King High could be good here and he was right. But again, this is something he can't be angry about that people are uh, suspicious of and he would now be in for 20.5k now if i had backed them and it was on cheat um if he was being staked by me if i were to dump to him um it's this uh it, it's the same idea actually except worse if i ended up being the one that had to re-enter that's another 10.5k that i have to uh, fork out for myself to re-enter and if i'm backing him and he does end up doing well I only get half of the profit after he clears the makeup. So like these numbers like literally don't add up. Like there's no win in there for me to be dumping chips to him if I were backing him. Um, especially early in an MT, MTT like this. Like in level four, it doesn't make any sense. And once again, I didn't back him literally ever. Um, now... So a few more things to address is um, 
I guess a good question I'm sure everybody would be, is very curious about is why it took me so long to come out and defend myself. And yeah, no, that's understandable to like ask. And yeah, at first I felt like I deserved all the hate, to be honest. Um, while I'm here letting you guys know what claims are complete bullshit, I'm also here to admit to what I've done. And like I had a multi-tied a bunch, so I had no interest in denying that. It's just, it happened, and I regret it, but it happened. What do you mean you have no interest in denying it? You went on for a year and a half where you just would not admit it, even to people who were messaging you privately. You admitted that here, that people messaged you who knew you personally and asked, did you do this, and you just wouldn't answer them. So what do you mean you had nothing that you were trying to not admit? (laughs) You've been avoiding this for a long time because you didn't want to admit it. So you're admitting this now because you know that making a video just saying this is all false, I did nothing, and even though GG Poker banned me, they were 100% in the wrong, and Alex Foxen's in the wrong, and all the other high-stakes players who are swearing that I was cheating are in the wrong, I'm right, and none of you realize it. Like, you at least knew that nobody was going to go for that. So you're making this video saying, okay... I did this, but I didn't do the rest of it, thinking that admitting to something will satisfy the people who are insistent that you had to be cheating, and that maybe you can rehabilitate your rep by showing that the one thing you're admitting to is all you did, and that maybe you can convince people of that. But first of all, the attitude you've had here the whole way is not going to convince anybody, and it's just going to get everybody angry. And number two, it's very unlikely. It's very unlikely that you did all this cheating, but then you drew the line with everything else. It just doesn't make any sense. The only thing I will concede is that there are probably some assumptions in there for suspicious things that occurred that actually were innocent, but just look suspicious because of who's involved. So it's possible that, for example, this thing with Brock, there was nothing that was shady going on here, and it's just being discussed now because of everything else. But that's the nature of when you're caught cheating. People then examine everything else under a microscope, and there will be some allegations in there that end up not being true. And then, um, but after that, uh, there were so many different accusations about me that weren't true. Like, most of them I just disproved, I think. Um, And I didn't even know how to react. Uh, Like, I was so angry and so frustrated. Um... And I could see the toll like that this was putting on my family. I was I was actually getting in like shouting matches with people at the casino. I was just yeah, I was in a really really bad uh, place. Honestly, I, I hated poker this time. Okay, there we go. That's why this is happening. That's why this is happening right now. Now we know he was trying to go to casinos and play live, and people were giving him a hard time, and he got tired of it. He probably did get in shouting matches. Probably people said to him, Ali, what's going on here? Did you really cheat? Uh, I have no comment. What do you mean no comment, Ali? Come on. Did you do it? I I don't want to talk about it. What do you mean you don't want to talk about it? I was in these games with you, Ali. Did you cheat? Uh, I I, I have no comment. I don't want to talk about it. I'm just trying to play live poker and establish myself as a live player. But Ali, we're not talking about live poker. We're talking about online. Did you cheat? I was in those games with you, Ali. I lost a lot of money. I'm very concerned. Did you cheat? Uh, I, I don't want to talk about it. No comment. Yeah, of course there's going to be shouting matches because people are going to be pissed off when you give them that answer when they think you cheated them. So 
he probably got tired of this. He hoped it would die down. It did not die down. And then Jake Schindler continuing to show up at these events, despite the controversy, just keeps it alive. And he realized that people are going to keep bringing this up every time he shows up. And that he's never going to be able to return to live poker in peace if he doesn't do something. So this is his attempt to do it. And he's just making it worse. So that's why he's come back out. Obviously, a lot of it is my own fault. But a lot of it is just made up bullshit that I was being accused of an attack, attack for. Now, all of it is your fault. Because you cheated and were caught. And that ruined your reputation. That's it. No made up bullshit. There are suspicions that people have based upon actual cheating that you did do for sure. And that you're admitting to. And now is affecting everything else. Um, yeah, I hated myself for putting this burden on my loved ones. And I was I was trying to run away from it all. <clears throat> I just knew that I wasn't ready and I couldn't deal with it in any sort of healthy manner. Uh, yeah, and a little after the World Series, like this came out before the World Series, I played the World Series, but not much. I mostly just lay rich stuff. Uh, lay rich by uh, the World Series hands and, you know, I'm, st- I'm still in a really bad place. And uh, I lashed out, and for a little under two months, I played online again, mostly Sundays, where I did multi again. Um, yeah, I'm just being honest. It felt like I was being accused of so much shit I wasn't doing, and the shit I've worked hardest at, um, like poker, like just works. This is my life. I wasn't gonna be able to drive. wasn't gonna be able to drive me much more income anymore because I, I just, I just hated playing live poker anymore like i just didn't want to be there um so i lashed out again and like i played i think roughly six sundays where i did multi to give myself you know the revenue from poker again and yeah i knew it was a mistake <laughs> this is probably the funniest part of the video oh, so he claims he multi-accounted for five months and then stopped because he felt bad about it and then all this drama came out last year where people accused him of cheating. And because he couldn't go back to live poker without getting hassled and had to play online, he was so upset. He was in such a bad place that, yeah, he kind of lost control and he started to multi again. <laughs> That's like where he goes when he's depressed. You know, some people... They do depressed eating, where they eat way too much because they're depressed, or they do depressed drinking, or depressed drug use, or depressed self-harm, or depressed reckless behavior. The way Ali copes is he cheats. He does depressed cheating. So if everyone's on his case for cheating, which he did, and when he gets hassled at live poker for cheating, then he retreats to the familiar world of online poker and cheats again. <laughs> what? What? So he did it again. He's admitting he did it again after this whole thing, after the whole shitstorm. He goes back and does it again. And is blaming it on all the drama that ensued because he got caught cheating. What is he talking about? I don't have any excuses for it. I'm not proud of it. But yeah, I did it for a short period. And then I had a I had a good friend message me and tell me not to become what people are saying I am. So um, yeah, that really 
that really stuck with me. Uh, what do you mean what people are saying you are? You admitted you did it. You admitted you did it before, then it got called out, and then you started doing it again. So what is this friend saying, oh, Ali, don't become the false allegations? It's not like people are falsely accusing you of cheating when you've never cheated before. And then after your reputation does not recover, you say, well, if everyone's going to say I was a cheater, I might as well just cheat and get the edge because I have the worst of both worlds right now. I never cheated. I don't get the additional edge from cheating. And yet everyone thinks I have cheated and hates me for it. So eh, I might as well cheat then and get the spoils of the cheating if that's what everyone's going to think of me anyway, which is still wrong, but is more understandable than this, where he actually did cheat, got called out for it, his reputation suffered, went back and cheated again after that, and then his friend's like, oh, no, you don't want to become what they're saying. Um, Friend of Ali's, he already was what they were saying. That's the problem. Uh, Like, I just, I did not want to be this guy. Um, You know, I guess what I have to say to those that are accusing me I'm not trying to throw anybody under a bus. I'm not trying to pick any real fights right now or just in general because it's just none of it's worth it. But I will say um, for some of the main accusers, a lot of you don't even have your own house in order. Once again, I'm not here to call anybody out and try to defer any attention away from me because I'm I'm here admitting what I did. I want to own up to my mistakes but one of the main accusers, I guess maybe multiple, but um, one of the main accusers has had a chip EV RTA since 2018 or 2019 and plays the highest stakes. One of them is banned from multiple sites for multiing. Um, <clears throat> one of them uh, multi stars for years. Um, and one of them was multiing 5K Synagogues for a while. Uh, back in the day, and is somehow now thought of as a respected figure in poker. Okay, then why not call them out? Like, one thing you can do here, one thing that would be valid, is saying, okay, yeah, I'm a piece of shit. However, these sanctimonious people on Twitter who are calling me a cheater, let me tell you about some of them, because they are just as bad as I was. And here they are, and here's what they did. And provided you're telling the truth, fine. And in fact, you can even say who might know about it, who witnessed it, or that you know of people who know of it and witnessed it, and that they can come forward if these people try to deny it. And then put the ball in their court for them to answer to it. That would be fine. Because I agree that if there are other cheaters out there who are currently giving Ali a hard time over this and standing on their high horse, when in reality they've done the same thing, or used to, then, yeah, he has a good point that they should be getting shame as well if these scandals are not well-known. And I don't think he's referring to, like, Bonomo, whose own scandal has been known for 17 years. He's saying that many of these people did it, and no one knows they did it. Everyone thinks they're honest, and they're not, and yet they're calling him out. He's like, well, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus here. Why not? (laughs) They're bashing you. So why shouldn't you throw them under the bus? So this could just all be made up. Or this could just be, like thinks he's heard but doesn't know for sure if they happened and doesn't want to say it. But what does he have to lose at this point? If, if these people really did this and he's sure of it, then just call him out. It would be throwing him under the bus if he has heard people cheated, but they're not sticking their neck into this whole thing. 
they're keeping their mouths shut too. But there's people going after him publicly who also did it. Yeah, call him out. Nothing wrong with that. That's basically what uh, Martin Zamani did when he called out Bryn Kenny. He said, yeah, yeah, I cheated, but I cheated for Bryn. And here's the way the whole thing worked. That's what Martin Zamani did. So this is kind of different, but yeah, it's fine. It's totally fine to call these people out, but then he won't name them. So it means nothing. So once again, like, I'm not saying any names. Why not? I'm not calling anybody out. You should. Uh, but yeah, like... I don't know, like, like a lot of people could have accused me of my multi and stuff, and I would have accepted it, but some of these guys are some of the biggest cheats, okay? Um, either way, I really want to move past this. This has been incredibly tough on my family, and I just don't want them to ever have to think about it again. I'm not here for to ask for this to be forgotten and forgiven. Um Here's a question which Cal Watt asked earlier. Why not give back the money to those that you cheated? Why not think about who is in these games and start giving refunds to these people for what you estimate you cost them through your cheating? I know you can't get them all, but why not do something? You're still holding on to all the money you made. Just coming out here with this weird video doesn't do anything. And bringing your family into this. Oh, it's so hard on my family. Well, that's what happens. When you do something like this, then, yes, it reflects badly upon you, and by extension, it can on your family. However, I haven't seen, like, anything happen to his family. I haven't heard of any kind of reports that his family's getting threatened or harassed. What's probably happening is that because his name has become so synonymous with cheating, that people in his family or people associated with his family who go, oh, yeah, isn't Ali a poker player? Isn't like a big poker player? And they Google him. They go, oh, my God. <laughs> and they see like 300 articles about him being a cheater. And then they ask his family about it, and his family's very embarrassed. That's probably what's been happening, is that his family was very proud of him before and told everyone they knew how Ali is killing it in poker. And then since early last year, anyone who Googles him sees this and comes to the family and says, oh, you know, it says, oh, he's a big cheater. What is this about? <laughs> so, so it's probably very embarrassing for them after they bragged about him so much. That's what he's talking about. And you know what? That's the unfortunate result of doing something bad and getting into the public eye for that reason. Eventually, your family does have to kind of deal with the fallout of it, which kind of sucks, but that's the way it works. But he's not even trying to say that anyone is doing anything to his family. Just that's kind of embarrassing his family, but that's his fault. He cared so much about his family that when he was getting ostracized at live tournaments, that he went back to go do it again, the online poker cheating. So what's he talking about? But I want to say, I feel like I've paid my dues for what I've done. How? How have you paid your dues? Because people don't like you now? Because people yell at you? You haven't paid your dues at all. That's very arrogant to say. What dues have you paid? Staying away from live tournaments for a while because you were tired of people asking you about this and demanding answers? That's not paying your dues. So I don't know how you can say that. This is a major thing. And if the community doesn't want to forgive you about it, then that's their choice. You haven't paid your dues. I don't know what you're talking about. Paying your dues would be taking all the money you've made from poker, putting on a big free roll for everybody you've played against in the past that they can go win the cheating money back, even if it doesn't go specifically to each person who was cheated, but that people who are in that rough community could recover the money in that way collectively. That would be kind of paying your dues. 
not just putting out a weird video like this and staying away from live tournaments because you can't handle the heat. Um, and that's kind of what I thought originally when I lost the uh, uh, with like with GG taking three hundred twenty k for me and uh, just taking <laughs> you were you were using RTA and multi accounting. They took it because you were cheating and they caught you, and that's what happens when you are a cheater who is caught in online poker. Is they take whatever's in your account and redistribute it to your opponents. The amount of shit my family and I have had to deal with in the last year, I think I've paid. I've paid some most of my dues, if not all of them. Um, and I, I just want to finally be able to move on. Um, yeah, like I still love poker. I I still want to play some. I still really I really enjoy coaching. I really enjoy making other people better. And uh, yeah, like I'm just trying to move on past this. I'm here to. I, I, I I'm posting this video to admit to what I've done. And, you know, disprove what I haven't. And uh, hopefully this is going to be the start of moving on past this. Thanks for watching. I like how it ends with a sniffle. That's appropriate. So uh, thanks for watching. We sniffed some cocaine here. Oh, that was tough. Oh, that was tough. Sorry, Ali, this is not going to end everything, nor does anyone believe you've paid your dues. Did not accomplish what you were hoping it would accomplish. And I can say this from observing the community's reaction to this video. But here is a little tip to you in the future. Before you release something stupid like this, show this to people that you trust and care about you and ask, is this going to make things better or worse? And if the answer is worse, then don't post it. But clearly you did not do that because that was a pretty ridiculous video. All right. Let's move on here with what little time I have left. I want to talk about the Circa Casino Scammer. This is a crazy story. I've had a lot of people sending me this story. Because a lot of people want to hear me comment on this story. Because it's so weird. It's not about poker. It's a casino scam. But this is something that's so stupid that you would be sure this would never work. So I'm sure a lot of you in the past have at some point, maybe when you were a kid or a teenager, that you would call up someone or some business and pretend to be somebody else and see if they would buy it. And it would always be a complete failure. So for example, if you called up Caesar's Palace and claimed you were the CEO of the Caesar's Corporation and try to speak to someone or try to make some kind of ridiculous demand and see if they go for it. And of course, uh, nobody will believe you and hang up on you. That's what you would expect, right? Now forget like a prank call. What if somebody just called in and said they were the, an owner of a major casino and just asked for an employee to meet them in a third-party location, not even at the casino itself, just meet them somewhere else and hand them cash for some flimsy reason. You think any employees, one, would be stupid enough to fall for it, and two, wouldn't be caught at some point by the checks and balances they have placed where, like, shouldn't someone at the casino catch it even if an employee is fooled into doing this? Like, wouldn't there be something in place to where someone with more sense at the casino would catch them? Well, apparently not. So a man named Eric Gutierrez, 
who is only 23 years old, is now accused of calling up Circa and pretending to be the owner of the casino and getting them to hand him over a million dollars. Yes, that's really what he did. So apparently, he was calling up Circa, and he claimed to them that they needed to give him money. He identified himself as the owner, whose name is Derek Stevens. He claimed he was Derek Stevens, and that they needed emergency money to give to the Clark County Fire Department to have some devices installed in the property in order to pass an inspection. So he claimed that we need these right now. We have to give this cash to the fire department, which makes like no sense. Like, even if this were true, like, why would you ever give it to the fire department? That's not how it works. The fire department does not install things in your casino for fire safety. You're supposed to install that yourself, and then the department inspects it. But even if you believe the department itself is going to be doing the work, why would you hand them bags of cash? Could you see any kind of government office receiving bags of cash from a large business? Like, why would this not be a check or a wire? Why would it be bags of cash where you just meet the employee in some third-party location where the cash is handed over? Like, it didn't make any sense, but someone fell for it. So, fake Derek Stevens, who apparently was really this Eric Gutierrez, called up Circa and said exactly this. And then... I don't know how exactly he did it because these details were not disclosed, but there were four different transactions where money kept being brought to, I guess, pay for the fire department or whatever it was supposed to be. I don't know if it was always the fire department story. I know that was the main one. But they would go meet at some off-site location. So it wasn't at the fire department and it wasn't at Circa. They would go meet at some third-party location and employees would show up with bags of cash, which then Eric or somebody else that was working with him would then take. So the payments were $314,000, $350,000, $500,000, and then three smaller deposits. I don't know how those were done, but that was like on the fourth meeting. For some reason, there were three different smaller ones. But this totaled $1.17 million dollars that was gotten out of Circa in this way. The employee has not been identified, but it was a female employee, but it has been confirmed that she wasn't the only one aware of this, that she was texting with her manager the whole way, and this brilliant manager actually approved it. Documents related to this case also indicate that she believed that she was meeting with the hotel owner's attorney. I'm not sure who was playing the attorney, but I guess that was the one semi-clever part of this whole scheme, was that there was some fake attorney that was also involved in this whole thing, who was claiming that this is all okay. But still, crazy. Like, How does she not verify any of this? And how does the manager say this is okay? So that's how she was able to just take out this type of money in cash. Because you can't just take out this type of money in cash at a casino with nobody else knowing. There's protocols there for that. But apparently she was texting with her manager who gave the okay. So finally, on June 17th, 
they realized something was going on. On June 17th, Las Vegas Metro came to Circa, and they were there because they were told that this might be a scam. And a person from hotel security said that an unknown person had contacted the casino cage claiming to be the owner of the hotel and asking for uh, 320000 more for an emergency payment to the fire department. So this is, I guess, after the, the four that had been successful. What they ended up doing was uh, going back to the previous uh, times that this had been done, and they found a vehicle that seemed to be involved with this whole theft. I'm not sure where they got the video, but they got the video of the vehicle maybe from nearby businesses of where they met, because I, I don't believe this person came down to the Circa at any point. But they did get a video of the vehicle that probably was where they were showing up, and the vehicle was registered to Eric Gutierrez's aunt. Now, the aunt apparently wasn't involved, but he lives with his aunt, so he just borrowed her car. <laughs> and uh, they then started surveilling that home, and they noticed that another car came to the house, not the aunt's car, but another car came to the house and then left. And this car belonged to another man, and Gutierrez was in it. So basically, some dude came to pick him up. They searched the car at that point, but there was nothing in it. Then they searched the home, and they found, quote, a large bag of currency bundled together with the name Circa on it. (laughs) So the idiot didn't even remove any Circa insignia from the bundles of the cash. Really brilliant criminal here. So they arrested him. They were able to recover 850000 of the money, but they still don't know where the other 314000 went. The other man in the car, I don't know if they know who he is, but he was not arrested at the time. Because remember, they pulled over the car knowing that Gutierrez was likely involved, but they hadn't yet found the money in his house yet. And there was no money in the car. So at that point, they did not have enough cause to arrest both of them. So I don't know if they've found the other man since or since he flew the coop. But right now, Gutierrez is the only one who was arrested. Now, you know, I've talked before about the weirdness in the Clark County justice system. Here is another element of that. What would you guess his bail would be set at? Keep in mind, he very clearly seems to have stolen $1.2 million and also is suspected of a similar scheme that took place in Mesquite, Nevada. So this is at least the second time he did it, and Vital Vegas is claiming that three other casinos were hit successfully prior to Circa, which, if true, is crazy. But even ignoring that part of it, he was definitely suspected of something in Mesquite that's very similar. And it very much looks like he did this here because they found the money with the Circa bundles uh, in his house. And he, of course, has no way to explain where that money came from. So it looks just about certain he did it. So what would you expect that they would set the bail at here? You would think it would be something like... $100 billion! Or at the very least... $1 million! But no, the bail was set at 
$25,000. What? What? Okay, let's think about this. There's $314,000 outstanding that they can't find. He's being accused of a very serious financial crime here, which could land him in prison for a long time, especially given the allegations in Mesquite and that he may have done this three other times in Vegas. So he could be put away for a long-ass time. You're telling me that they let him out for 25 k bail? How do they know he's not going to skip? How do they know he's not going to skip and leave the country? Especially with his 314 k outstanding. How do they know he's not going to just run off? And then use some of that money to find someone to get him over to a country that doesn't extradite. Why would the bail be 25 k Now, if you remember when we covered the whole Raymond Davis scandal and the whole criminal case he was facing, which had nothing to do with finances that had to do with sexual activity with a minor. And his bail was set at 25000 Now, that made a bit more sense in that case because Ray knew he was under investigation for years and then through some fail from Las Vegas Metro PD, even though it was very clear that Ray was right there in Vegas for all that time, they didn't arrest him even though they meant to. They just uh, did a very, very, very poor job of looking for him. But once they arrested him, it could have been reasoned, okay, Ray knew that he's been investigated all this time and he never left town. So there it would be more believable that he wouldn't leave once he's actually been charged. However, the point I'm making here is just because he was a little bit rude to the judge in court, they upped his bail to 500 grand, which made no sense. They changed his 25K bail to 500,000 just because he pissed off the judge. He didn't do anything horrible. He was just kind of uh, unruly in court. When I say unruly, he wasn't getting up and throwing things and uh, standing on the desk. He was just kind of rude. That was all he did. And they upped it to 500K. So you're telling me that Ray Davis being rude in court justifies a 500K bail from 25? And yet the guy who committed a scheme like this, who has hundreds of thousands of dollars unaccounted for, that they're only setting a 25K bail? That's insane. 25K bail for a crime of more than a million dollars. And that it appears he committed multiple times in a short period. What are they doing? The charge he is facing in Mesquite, he also has a low bail of 20000 So he was out on that bail. He was already out. I mean, the funny thing is if they set the bail properly there, he wouldn't have been out to do this. So I don't get what's with the low bail here. It probably has something to do with his claims that, oh, I'm 23 years old and I don't have any income. I don't have a job. So that amount would seem like it would be enough, but not when there's $314,000 missing and not when this much was stolen. I don't know what he allegedly stole from Mesquite. I don't know what's going on with these low bail amounts, but you see what happened. (laughs) He got the low bail in Mesquite, did get bailed out, and then committed the same crime again in Las Vegas. By the way, if you don't know where Mesquite is, it is on the Arizona border. If you keep going north on the 15 after you get to Vegas, if you're driving north from LA or San Diego or wherever, if you keep going north on the 15, you get to North Las Vegas then you pass through a lot of nothing, nothingness, and then you get to Mesquite right before you cross into Arizona. 
Mesquite is a small gambling town that has like, I think, three casinos. And they're not very large. But it's kind of like a very small Vegas. And it's really the only thing of consequence until you get into St. George, Utah. Because if you keep going north in the 15, after you pass through Mesquite, then you're going to be in northwest Arizona. And then there's basically nothing there. And then you will get into St. George right when you cross the border into Utah, which is a short time later. Mesquite gets a lot of gamblers from the St. George area. Because St. George isn't tiny. It's not a huge city, but it's not tiny. So it's not super far from St. George to Mesquite. So they get some gamblers from there. They also get some people who just stop by as they're driving the 15. Some people prefer a small venue like that rather than the craziness of Vegas. You can get from Mesquite to St. George in less than 40 minutes with no traffic, which there usually isn't. So as I said, if you're in St. George, then it's where you go to gamble. But yeah, I guess he did that there. I don't know if he ever lived in Mesquite. Or if he just decided to hit Mesquite first, thinking that they may be dumb enough to fall for it over there. And then when it worked, he's like, oh, well, I just got busted for this. Let me try again in Vegas. Oh, my God, I got a million dollars. Great. That is an insane story. And what people can't believe is that this worked. This is like something so so simple you can't imagine it working. And then how does he not, like, run away at that point? Like, once he gets this much money, wouldn't you think he would just disappear? It's amazing how many criminals stick around after their successful crime and they wait for it to be put together and to get arrested. Because let me tell you guys something. Cameras are everywhere nowadays. Like every business in the area has a camera because they don't want their business broken into. So, so many houses and so many businesses have cameras. And there's even sometimes uh, other cameras that are being operated by the city. So there are so many cameras, you really can't expect to drive anywhere without one of these cameras catching your vehicle. So if they have any kind of rough idea of when you were somewhere, even if they don't know who you are yet, then they can go over the camera footage, which people and businesses always voluntarily hand over, because why wouldn't they? They're trying to help the police solve a crime, and it's just footage of the street, so it's not like they're worried about a privacy issue. So people voluntarily hand that over, as I'm sure you would if the police came to you and said, hey, can we see the footage from your house aimed at the street because there's a crime we think occurred there? Of course you'd say yes, because it's just footage of the street. If the police said, hey, can I have a recording of your phone calls or can I examine your computer or can I see video of inside your house? You'd probably say no. But video of the street, of course, you're going to say yes. So everybody says yes. That doesn't even need a warrant. And of course, a warrant could be generated anyway. And then they go over it and then they look at all the cars and they'll often be able to figure out who it is. So if you've gotten away with something like this, it's just a matter of time before you're caught. But it seems like they always just stand around. (laughs) They just wait. They just think if they got away with it for the moment, they're going to get away with it a few weeks later, which is not true. And the fact that he kept coming back and back and back, that's the other ridiculous thing. Time and time again, I see these criminal schemes succeed to where if they just quit on the first one, it would never be caught. But instead, they keep doing it over and over and over again until finally someone suspects something. So they hit circa four times. (laughs) 
you don't think at some point that Cirque is going to go, wait a minute, maybe maybe this isn't really the owner. Maybe this is a scam. Like, don't you think employees there will talk and go, hey, how come Derek keeps calling up and asking for cash to give to the fire department? This is the fourth time we've met him. We've met a representative. They didn't meet him, of course. They met some, quote, representative of his to give cash in some third-party location. Like, don't you think the employees might talk and say, hey, this is so weird. This is the fourth time this has happened. <laughs> and then someone with some sense says, wait a minute. This this is not something that sounds legitimate. That doesn't sound like what this Derek Stevens guy would do. So Derek Stevens actually uh, commented on this himself. He said, although I love a good PR story, this isn't one of them. Circa Las Vegas is cooperating with Las Vegas Metro PD in this investigation. We greatly appreciate their efforts to date and cannot comment further due to an ongoing investigation. And he was actually responding to Vital Vegas, who posted, as you probably guessed, there's much more to this story. Apparently, four Las Vegas casinos have been hit by this highly sophisticated scam, unreported, meaning that uh, this isn't reported publicly anywhere, on strip and off strip, plus one in Mesquite. We're only hearing about it now because this is the first arrest, first money recovered. More to come. It's wild. Now, Vital Vegas isn't always correct. He is often correct. But I think you should really believe him here. Why? Because he has a relationship with Circa. He won't ever admit to this. But it's very clear he has a relationship with Circa. He's always at Circa. He's playing their video poker. He's posting pictures of their video poker. He's always pumping up Circa as the greatest place in the world. This has been the case for a while. And nobody can figure out how Vital Vegas makes money from what he does other than getting payments from casinos that he seems positive on. It's been long assumed, even though he won't admit to it, it's been long assumed that his present form of income is coming from Circa and promoting Circa. He definitely has a relationship with Circa and with the ownership there. Whatever the case is, I don't know how much they're paying him. I don't know for sure if they're paying him. I suspect they are. But he definitely is very positive on Circa, is there all the time, always seems to be promoting them. So if anyone would have the information from Circa here, it would be Vital Vegas. And it's no coincidence that the owner, Derek Stevens, is quoting his tweet when putting out his statement on the matter. So while Vital Vegas is sometimes hostile to certain casinos here, that he doesn't like, or even ones that he thinks are not behaving well. Like Sahara is a good example when they sued him unsuccessfully, but Sahara sued him, if you remember. He does not have this kind of adversarial relationship with Circa. It's the opposite. He has a very, very, very friendly relationship with them at the very least. So when he's putting this out, he has inside information. So I think, yes, he's probably right that four Las Vegas casinos got hit. Then there's one in Mesquite that there's more than one person involved, which seems pretty clear because there's that fake attorney. There was that second man picking up this Eric Gutierrez at his house. And that Vital Vegas is saying, the only thing we're hearing right now is about this one guy, this Eric Gutierrez who was arrested and this one casino, which is what he was arrested for. But there's much more to this. And we're going to hear more soon enough. So that is going to be interesting when we hear the whole story. And he says there is more than this, and he called it a, quote, highly sophisticated scam, which at this moment does not seem very sophisticated, aside from the fake attorney. 
The rest of it seems incredibly simple. But he could be right. So how could this simple scam be sophisticated? Well, sometimes sophistication comes in simplicity. For example, this wasn't the scam. This was uh, a case of murder and terrorism. But the 9-11 attacks were sophisticated and yet seemed simple. Because all it was was terrorists on the plane bringing fake bombs on board. And the reason they were fake is because they weren't really bombing anything and they weren't going to trigger any kind of detectors because they weren't actual bombs. There were no explosives. But they were fake bombs that looked real that they would put together in the bathroom. And then they brought box cutters on board, which was allowed back then, which then could double as knives. And they would go into the cockpit, which was unlocked in those days, and demand to take over the controls to fly. And of course, no one had been flying planes into buildings back then, so that wasn't suspected. So they would claim that they were just taking it over to make demands and were going to land the plane. And any of the pilots that were in the cockpit that were uncooperative, they would stab. So while the execution of all this looks simple, it was actually a sophisticated plan that carefully analyzed the vulnerabilities in U.S. airline security in those days. And since then, not only have these vulnerabilities been closed, but also no pilot is ever going to give up the seat of the plane ever again, even with a gun to his head, because now everybody knows what will happen. So this is something that would only work once, but it was a sophisticated scheme, and it had a lot of planning to it. So this could have been something along those lines, even though it didn't involve violence. This could have been something where, for example, they were trying certain employees there to figure out who is the most gullible, to where they didn't just uh, pick this one particular employee out of a hat, but maybe there were previous tests for these other employees to see who would fall for dumb things, you know, small things that would never be reported, but basically trying to look for the weakest link there with some previous interactions with them. And then when they would find someone who they felt was sufficiently stupid, then they would go for it. And then they would set up this fake attorney to okay it. So there may have been a lot of sophistication in planning here to where they felt it would work based upon their analysis of these casinos and some holes in their procedures. So that may be where the sophistication came in, where the execution just looks incredibly reckless. <laughs> like They're just telling them, hey, meet us with hundreds of thousands of dollars of cash at this third-party location to give to the fire department. No, nothing suspicious about that. I mean, it seems crazy. Now, I still can't understand why they would do it four times. That, that part was not sophisticated. That part was stupid. Four times the same casino. And that's what got them caught. But that may have just been greed. They may have seen it work so well. And then when it worked a second time, they're like, oh my God, this is going to work every time. Let's just keep smacking them over and over. It's just incredible that they were so dumb to believe that at some point this is going to be caught. Like, how could they not know that? So that's all I got for you tonight. It is seven o'clock. I've got to start getting ready soon. As I said, I have some plans this evening. But I wanted to do this show to uh, just cover some topics of the day that are going on. And 
I want to thank Traderuski and Calwatt for joining me when they could be here. Calwatt had to leave in the middle of that Ali segment. That's why he's not here anymore. Just me. So what about the show we did a few days ago? Is that going to be the archive soon? Yes. Again, I'm not sure if I'm going to combine this with that uh, other show, or if I'll release it as two separate episodes. I will decide when I'm doing the editing, which will be soon. And what about the topics I did not get to on that episode before it got cut by the bad internet? Well, I will do another show covering that stuff, including the whole Martin Cabral thing, which I was just starting to cover when the radio gave out. So the topics we didn't get to, I didn't get to uh, Terrence Chan and his dissatisfaction with Poker Go, or about the Big O event and how that went. I didn't play it, but the first Big O event they had at the World Series, or the Parking Follies, or the PokerTribe.com situation, and the creator of that who is now accused of a murder-for-hire plot. That's actually a very interesting story that Haley Hintz reported on, and then also the Poker Hall of Fame, and there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff to talk about, actually. So I will get to all those missed topics in another show fairly soon. When? I'm not totally sure. My next thing I'll be doing is I'll be putting this show in the archives and the part one of the show from the 24th into the archives, and then we'll get to the part two of everything soon enough. So thank you for listening, everybody. And I just want to let you know, if you see me around the World Series... You're welcome to come up to me. Some people have. I get that every year. Some people come up to me and meet me for the first time. Especially if I've talked to you before via text message. But even if I've never communicated with you at all, you're welcome to come up to me. And I'll be happy to meet you. Well, I'm glad I got this in. I'm going to make a confession here. Not a big confession, but a little confession. When the last show crapped out due to the internet, I wasn't that sad. Because I found that my throat was hurting more and more, and it was getting harder and harder to talk. And it was getting to the point where I thought I may have to shut it down anyway. I had taken a break, but it didn't really help me. And I wasn't sure how much more I could do, because it seemed like there was a lot of topics left, which there were. And I just didn't know if I could get through them all. One mistake I made is I forgot to use the rinse I always use before and also during these shows. This time I took no break because it's a short show, but when I take breaks and before the show, I will use this dry mouth rinse that I've had for about five years now. And it's very useful in preventing my throat from hurting as much during the show. Because all this talking, as you can imagine, is pretty tough on my throat. And this rinse, it's called biotine. And it's something that lubricates your throat. I know this sounds like I'm talking about something sexual, but it's, it's not. It's something for radio. And it prevents my throat from getting as irritated from all the talking. That's not the intended purpose of it. It's really for dry throats and dry mouth. But it also works for that. I also use it when I go to sleep sometimes in a dry environment like Las Vegas. It's very helpful to use before going to sleep. But I forgot to do that before the last show. 
and I think I paid for it. It also didn't help that I just gotten over that long cold, and I think my throat still had a little bit of uh, irritation, even though I was no longer ill. But I'm happy to report that my throat feels fine right now. I know it's only been a few hours, but that's a good sign. I did use the rinse beforehand this time. I didn't make the same mistake. So I'll see you guys soon uh, with some more content, and we'll be putting up these last two shows in the archive shortly. Thank you for listening, and shalom. <laughs>